and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the number one Survivor podcast in all of Germany. I am Mario Lanza, as always. And I am Jay Fisher. And I'm not in Germany. Are you in Germany? I'm not in Germany. Oh, my Sadly, God. Sadly, one, one of us is in Germany, and that's, that's kind of why we're doing a special podcast tonight, to update you on what's going on with the Survivor Historians. Yeah. We're done. Good night, folks. <laughs> See you later. Exactly. That's it. Fuck all of you. <laughs> oh she's like <laughs> oh wouldn't yes. it be that simple it would yes okay a lot of people have asked you know we haven't really put out a podcast in about four months now it's maybe four or five months and a lot of people think it has something to do with you know all stars being the next podcast and us not wanting to talk about all stars now first off that's complete bs because i have i want nothing more than to rip all stars apart and i'm waiting for it no the problem is that uh, one of our historians, the dear esteemed Paul Oslison, has moved to Germany, and he has a problem with his internet connections, and that is why we have not done a podcast in low these many five months. Yeah, um, we can make the obvious joke about ah ha ha Germany and internet connections stuff like that, but I mean that's a first world country, right? I mean this is just <laughs> you know Paul living in some weird boondocksy kind of something or other, right? You know, I used to think it was a first world country, but now I have my doubts. Now I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure after this, you know, small couple month interaction that we have had with Germany. Yeah, no, this is the worst thing that Germany has ever done to us. But you know what, though? <laughs> they love David Hasselhoff. They do. And Paul, apparently. <laughs> they love, is, well, should we continue the syllogism there? Is Paul David Hasselhoff? It's entirely possible. He does drive a cool car. I know that. And he fights crime. I know that. Well, there's that. There's that. <laughs> and he was influential when the Berlin Wall came down. So, it, 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 you know, if the, if the shoe fits. All right. All joking aside, yes. Paul Oslison, he uh, was a very bright guy, very accomplished guy. He won a Fulbright scholarship a couple of months ago to teach English in Germany. So... He and his fiance moved to Germany uh, a little towards the end of last year, and we expected we'd be able to continue the historians. The problem Paul ran into is that he, where he's living in Germany, they can't hold a Skype connection. Something with the German internet is horrible. So he can't hold a Skype connection for more than about two minutes, and this has been consistent ever since he's moved there. And this is a big problem because, A, we do all of our historian podcasts over Skype, and B, Paul is the one who records them and edits them. So... This has kind of been a big blow to us. So if people are wondering what the delay has been, that has been the delay, and that is why Paul is not here tonight. Right. But he's, he's forever in our hearts and uh, super proud of him, Fulbright Scholarship, and, and his fiance Fulbright Scholarship, just living the mm -hmm. dream, I suppose. I mean, that is just uh, – I was not that accomplished when I was his age. I was just watching Survivor and hoping one day maybe I could, you know, have a podcast where I could, you know, say shit a lot and talk about Survivor. <laughs> yeah, same here. So – uh the update is Paul. We've been I've been kind of dragging my feet on doing new podcasts because I didn't want to do it without Paul. I'm I've always been very loyal. Paul's part of the team. I don't want to go move on and do it without him. So we're just kind of waiting to see if his situation would resolve. It hasn't resolved, but they're moving to a uh, new place in Germany at the end of this month in January. So there, it's entirely possible we may have this resolved. We just don't know yet. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to update you. And the second is because we are having a little bit of a contest here, and I'm sure Jay would uh, kind of like to help. Fill you in on that one. Yeah, I can do. I, I can help fill it in there. Uh, also, just yes, we we are going to have this podcast without Paul, but but in 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 the nicest way possible. This is a stall tactic. 
Yes, it's a yeah. football game. We are running out the clock right now. That's good. It's good. I'm really glad that we are we are doing so. Anyway, we also thought we could have a contest, and uh, I mean, I, I could go in, in and explain it, but I think you should explain the whole thing first of all because you know you're the star of the show, and you know you're the one that gets paid for this, and we don't. But the second part is is that I believe that we have chosen to name this the Survivor Historian Apprentice. That is correct. This is now a, a contest where we are going to need a fourth historian. Basically, we need a temp. If you've watched The Office, we need a Ryan the temp to come in here where we can just, you know, talk shit about and make fun of. But we do need a fourth historian just in the off chance that Paul will not be able to continue his duties as Miss America. So that's kind of what this contest is going to be. We need someone on call just in case Paul's internet falls through and uh, we need someone to step in and jump right in, you know, both feet with both feet ready to go and as be our third. So what we're going to do here in the... uh, historian apprentice contest is we're going to ask people to send in like a little essay telling us why you think you should be our third historian why you think you have the balls to think that you could replace paul oslison and should he not be able to fulfill his duties so what we're looking for is someone who theoretically has watched the show since the beginning of time now that's not necessary it kind of drives a little dagger right into my heart saying that that it's not necessary but we are all the way up to all-stars so you have to at least have watched the show since Amazon Pearl Island, somewhere in there, so we have some context. And but that's kind of that's only half the thing because there, you know, Survivor fans who are know-it-alls are kind of a dime a dozen. I could name fifty people off the top of my head who know everything there is to know about Survivor. What we're looking for mainly is why you think you would fit in well with us. Why you think you'd fit in well with Jay and I, Jay and me, and our sense of humor. If you've done podcasts before, you know, if you write comedy. If you listen, if you know the show real well. So we're looking for like a little essay, why you think you should be the one. And don't make it long. We don't want to read like 20 pages for each person. Just write like one or two paragraphs. Just email it to us at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. And what we're going to do on the next show is Jay and I are going to pick our 10 favorites. And we're going to maybe bring 10 people onto the air with us just to talk with us for a couple of minutes to kind of... Because what I'm looking for more than anything is the chemistry. That's my big thing always. I want to see who who just flows with us. Who it, who does it feel right just talking to? So I understand we're opening ourselves up to a lot of criticism here. We're going to get yelled at if people apply and we don't pick them. But we can only pick one. And again, this is not a permanent job. This might not even become a full-time historian. This is mainly just as a backup for Paul. You need to be his understudy. But we will need a third person because should Paul's new place not work out, we do have to move on without him. So that's kind of... a uh, Kind of what we're looking for here. And if uh, Paul's new place does work out, uh, thanks for playing. We have some lovely parting gifts for you. <laughs> no, exactly. actually, uh, no, if, if, if it does work out and, and Paul goes normal, I mean, I'm sure that uh, whomever, you know, we select after this process, you know, we can bring on for, for a little bit in, in something. I don't know if it's going to be a full episode. Uh, there, basically, there's no promises for this, but I think a promise that we can make is that at some point, if you win this contest, you will get on the air uh, on one of these podcasts and get to uh, rip some shit off with us. What do you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I'm I'm putting this out there right now because I have run contests like this before. And what you end up with was a lot of hurt feelings of people that don't get picked. Just don't, please don't take it personally if you don't get picked. We can only pick one person. And again, chemistry is the really the big thing. I, I'm pretty good at judging who's going to work and who isn't. So if I don't pick you, it's nothing personal. It's, it's not you, it's me. So I'm just laying that out there right now. Yeah, you know, we, we're, we, we can only pick one of you. And by we, I mean Mario will only pick <laughs> one of you. 
So uh, all hate mail goes to Mario, and uh, all other mail doesn't go to me. So it all goes to you. Hey, win-win for you. Yeah, Jay is completely off the hook here. Jay will continue to be the most popular member of the historians, and I will take all the shit as usual. So Most popular? Yeah. What the? F- what? <laughs> I can't tell you how many people I've talked to lately about historians, and they all say the same thing. They're like, you know, I really like Jay. And every single person says this as if they're the first person who has come to that conclusion. Yet, it's also every single person I ever talked to. So, I'm letting you know right now that your, uh, your popularity has increased lately. Well, that's, 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 that's really uh, coincidental because my ego has also increased. Uh, <laughs> and, and now I know why. So, uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, and screw you, Mario. Well, the good thing is nobody ever says Paul is their favorite and he's no longer here. <laughs> Sorry. No, a lot of people like Paul. Paul, we love you very much. We Paul's don't want to replace favorite. you. Yes. <clears throat> Paul, we, we wish you the best of luck in your new uh, podcast endeavor and all your Fulbright scholarship, you know, your adventures. But And yes, also, have- do you still have that blinky light jacket that you wore when you sang on the Berlin Wall when it came down? <laughs> freedom. That's all he was looking for was freedom. Ah, the Hoff. What a guy. The best guy. <laughs> okay, okay, so that's those are the details. Survivor Historians Apprentice, send in your essays to survivorhistorians at gmail.com. I'm not going to see them any other way. It's got to go to that email address so Jay and I can both look at them. Uh, so just send them in if you think you'd be a good fit and if you think you would make an excellent addition to the team. And if you bag on Paul, it'll probably help. <clears throat> always. All right. That always yes. helps. So, what we were going to do, since uh, we have the two of us on the air for the first time in, in many months, we are going to do another uh, listener question podcast, where a couple weeks ago I asked people to send in questions about Survivor, seasons one through seven, even all-star questions if you want, just questions about the podcast, questions about uh, Jay or me or Paul. <clears throat> so, I have a bunch of listener questions, and we're going to delve into those right now as we, again, run out the clock and try to stall so we uh, don't have to start All-Stars until we know who our third podcaster is. So, Gotta love you ready, ready for this, Jay? Let's do this shit. All right. So we got 60 questions here. And right off the bat, I have to say, the, a guy named Mr. X sent, us, sent in this entire questionnaire with like 20 questions for Jay and me to answer. And I would love to do it, but it would take like literally 45 minutes to go through this entire thing. So I apologize to Mr. X. We can't do it. I got to do short questions. That's the only way we can get through this. So. Mr. X's survey, it was one of those, like, I mean, it was literally one of those surveys that they lift from the, the show, possibly like the Amazon. It's one of those where they all go off and uh, it's, it's like the slam book challenge where, yeah. like, they, you know, say, which, which survivor would you trust with your life? Which survivor would you want to see posed nude? Which survivor do you think mm-hmm. is the most fake? You know, and it was like 20 of those. And that, that was fantastic and it would be a great exercise. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a little long. And also with Mario and myself, I don't think any of our answers you could take for true <laughs> yeah yeah so, so apologize at some point we will try to do that questionnaire just not on this one this one we have 60 questions all lined up all of them from actual readers and i will start right now question number one from joseph seeger <clears throat> he wrote do either of you recall the issue with survivor pearl island involving betting in las vegas apparently there were odds for each of the players as to who would win before the season started and there was an influx of money coming in for sandra to win so they had to shut down betting on it I remember reading the story in a TV guide out of the blue, and it kind of spoiled me on the ending of the season. Uh, and he's asking, is he crazy, or, or did he make that up, or is that true? Does anybody else remember that? And I have to say, I absolutely remember that. 
And I also remember that Pearl Islands was not the only season where that happened. I remember there being like a betting odds spoiler on a lot of the seasons around there. Do you remember that, Jay? I do not remember, and that shocks the heck out of me because, you know, chill one with, uh, with, with Amazon, and I mean, there was Wesley and those people going over there and scouting out Pearl Islands and, and, and All-Stars locales there in Panama and whatnot. That just seems like a really poor betting thing because it's, it's, you're betting on something that actually happened before. <laughs> yeah. It's not like a sporting event where it's taking a place live in front of your eyes where you take bets and then the game happens. Like, this is something that happened and is in the can. And <laughs> so it just seems like this can get leaked, especially with money in Vegas going on. So I am fascinated by this story. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it wasn't really a major thing. It wasn't well known. I just remember reading about it on Sucks at the time. And it wasn't so much... I mean, I, I didn't really take it seriously because I didn't think it was a real thing. I didn't think there was actually a betting site where you could bet on Survivor. So that, I was kind of like you. I'm like, you can't bet on something that already happened. But apparently there was. And I vaguely remember this now that they had to shut down this betting site like almost every season because it would, the Survivor winner would all of a sudden have these amazing odds. So, yeah, I do remember that. And uh, thank you for the question, Joseph. I don't think that uh, betting on Survivor is really a thing anymore. But this is definitely true. And I, I, can, I can guarantee it did happen. I remember it. All right. <clears throat> Question number two from Jericho McCune. He says, of the first seven winners, whose story did you like the most? And of the first seven seasons, whose storyline did you like the most? Oh, boy. I will, yeah, I'll let you go this one. All right. Uh, of the first seven winners, whose story did you like the most? Of a winner. I mean, I'm going to be very brutally honest with you. As much as I love the first seven seasons of Survivor and hold them in a holy pantheon, as far as a winner storyline goes, none of them are that great. Um, you know, I mean, as much as I love Tina, you know, I mean, her story, as was best described uh, by Tape Watcher and the dog that didn't bark, was, was her sort of purposely not being shown her story, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, looking back on it, you're like, boy, it would have been great to see Tina more. You know, you kind of have to read between the lines there. Um, you know, and with a lot of things, it was kind of like Vesepia. You sort of had to read between the lines. You know, in Brian's story, I mean, Brian just dominated the game. But, you know, there was no real, I mean, it was just Brian doing really well at the game. And then Jenna's story, just kind of her, you know, pulling it out at the end and maturing right near the end. Uh, you know, and Sandra just being there when the dust clears after the Rupert Fairplay Burton kind of stuff. I would have to say the best winner storyline, to be honest with you, is just the story of Richard Hatch winning the first Survivor Borneo. You know, just just seeing him kind of take control of the game. You know, you know, you you'd get him and in the alliances stories kind of through there, and then him taking his hand off at the final three where he's laying out the plans and he's talking. I think that's of uh, the first seven. I think that's probably the best storyline of winners. It's funny, I went into this question expecting to say Tina. I've always said Tina is one of my, maybe my favorite winner. I think she has a really cool storyline if you kind of pay attention to it and if you kind of know the, the details behind it. But you're absol absolutely right in that a lot of it's kind of implied. It's not spelled out for you like some of the other winners, like a modern winner would be. So I actually have to change my answer. I think you are correct that Tina's win as presented isn't really that great a story, just like my backup choice, Vesepia, as presented isn't that good a story. So... The way it's presented, I would probably say my favorite is Brian Heidex, just because he's mm -hmm. a badass. He's a badass. Mm -hmm. so. And it, it really depends on if you like Brian or not. I happen to be a huge Brian fan, so I love it. But if you don't like Brian, I can see why you might not like that. But he would be my answer. I think he had the best story of the first seven winners. And of the, uh, the, sec 
the second part says uh, of the first seven seasons, which storyline did you like more? That's a way more interesting question because there's lots of storylines going on. And very yeah. briefly, I think that the two that jump out of my head, first of all, is just the Rob Sesternino and 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 Matt sort of mm-hmm. deal going on there in Amazon with Dina in there. Just the whole like Amazon's kind of the first season where you see a lot of that like more modern strategy really come into play, and they did a really good job with it. So I would say that, but also. I don't know if you could really go against the rise and fall of Johnny Fairplay. I think Fairplay is Those are That's a really good story. Yeah, those are good answers. Those were excellent. I would put those both in my top 5, but there's one storyline that historically kind of gets mentioned as maybe the all-time best story arc of a character and that's Kathy and Marquesas. Yeah, that's the one. That's good too. Yeah, that's 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 the one. I'm not even sure if I'd pick that that as my choice. That's just the one that almost everyone always says. That's oh, that's Kathy. That the Marquesa story arc was like the best story arc ever. So, it's a great just, story arc from like zero to hero, right? I mean, that zero, is just fantastic. It's zero to hero, and then to possibly the most popular player in Survivor history up to that point. I mean, it's it's yep. not a slam dunk, but you could argue that. And then this close to a win, she gets stabbed in the back by a nobody right in the middle of right like a two seconds before her her win. I mean that would that is an epic story arc. That's Empire Strikes Back story arc right there. It is good. That is good. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, third question, Kelly G, and this is a fantastic question. I'm glad somebody asked this. Do you guys feel that Survivor can help serve as a time capsule of sorts about the changing social ideas and acceptance of homosexuality in America? She said, back in Borneo, other contestants openly made jokes about Richard's sexuality, and he was rut- routinely referred to as a fag without the word being censored. In Africa, Brandon's effeminate nature was constantly used as a punchline. And yet years later, you have contestants like Todd, where their sexuality was never really a subject at all. In the latest season, Blood vs. Water, you had a gay couple competing together, and no one cared about their sexual orientation. The only question people had about that relationship was, what the hell is Caleb doing with Colton? Caleb seems way too good for him. Curious if you had any other thoughts on this subject. This is something that's fantastic, and I... I don't remember if we talked about this in our Borneo podcast. That was so long ago. But this is something I just, just a plug, quick plug here that I have a Survivor book that's about to come out. And I have two whole chapters on this topic right here about what a big deal it was that Richard won Survivor and Richard was gay and how that was just a huge moment in TV because gay guys were always presented as like comic relief prior to that. And it was kind of a big moment. This has been written about before. This isn't just my theory. I've heard this mentioned many times before and something, I, again, I pointed out in my book because it doesn't get mentioned often enough that that was a huge turning point because that was legitimately the first gay person a lot of people in America saw, ever saw on TV. Like a normal gay guy, just Richard, just a normal guy walking around doing Survivor stuff and it wasn't even a big deal that he was a gay and that, again, it's such a, a testament to the changing of the times how what a non-issue that was in 2000 where, I mean, it would have been on TV anytime before that. So yeah, it's absolutely, Survivor absolutely can display the changing attitudes towards gays on TV. It's absolutely true. You can also look no further than the, um, the reunion show for, uh, what was it, uh, Kara Moen, where they, mm-hmm. uh, they had a brief little segment with Rudy uh, that they brought him back. And, uh, you know, Rudy and Richard had a little bit, and it was like, first of all, why are you doing a bit when they have nothing to do with the season or anything? Mm-hmm. It was just very yeah. strange. But the second part is that Rudy, you know, was going along with a bit and calling Richard a queer like he did on the first season and stuff like that. And it's like, it was, you know, every, when he did it in the first season back in, in 2000, we all just kind of went, Oh, that Rudy, what a guy. And now he does it. And you're kind of like, 
that doesn't seem right anymore. Yeah. You know, and it's it, it's not like you know, uh, um, persecution against uh, homosexuality has gone away and we've solved it or anything like that. Far from it. But uh, you know, just uh, you know, the world's grown up a little bit in uh, 13 years. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think that you know, seeing uh, people compete in Survivor, you can see uh, differing attitudes over time. Absolutely. Yeah, and again, I got to point out one more time that Richard has never gotten nearly enough credit for that for being. I mean, he's le- legitimately the pioneer of of gays on mainstream TV. He was the guy. He's like the Jackie Robinson, and that was a really big deal. And nobody ever mentions that. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up, Kelly. Mm-hmm. All right, question number four from Evan Desroach. I hope that I pronounced that right. Evan you didn't. asked. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Evan, with the last name, the French last name, says, if Rob Sestrino votes out Jenna instead of Heidi, does he win Amazon? You ready for this answer? You ready for this answer, Evan? Here you go. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. He's not the greatest survivor mind on the internet for nothing, folks. Jay Fisher. (laughs) I mean... This is the thing. You, you always have to look back. And I mean, we always look at things with sort of a rose-colored glasses. Yeah, if he votes out Jenna, I mean, it turns out that Jenna had a lot of fight in her. And Jenna did a lot of growing up. And Jenna was a challenge threat. And it's really weird because you would think that Heidi would be a challenge threat. She was a PE teacher for crying out loud going in there. you know, And she obviously thought very highly of herself. But you know, Heidi didn't do so well in all those challenges. So when you're thinking about it objectively, you're looking back and you're like, well, they, had to, they voted out one of those two girls. If they vote out Jenna, Heidi probably isn't a threat to win challenges along the way. And Heidi is Heidi. So does Heidi you know, go to the end of a final two? Then you, know, you think you know, Matthew or Rob wins that final three challenge. They take it. But here's the question. If it's Heidi... Do they vote her out at four? Then it's then it's Rob, Butch, and Matt in the final one, and then you would think that like Rob would go with Matt, and probably Rob beats Matt. But it it it's not super clear. Rob had enemies over there on the jury. Maybe he beats Matt in a final vote. But you know, to me, this is a very weird hindsighty question because it's very easy for us to sit back and look and go, well, he had to vote out one of the girls. He voted out the wrong girl. But it's like he voted out the the one girl that wasn't openly saying she wanted to quit the game. Like, it, it was the, exactly the right call to vote out Heidi and keep Jenna, only in hindsight it was the wrong call. But there's no way to just, you know, it wasn't like it was a 50-50 flip, flip a coin. Like, you had all the reason to vote out Heidi because Jenna just seemed like she had no fight. But uh, it turned out she didn't, or she did have fight. So, I mean, that's, that's really the thing. So it, it's, a, it's a tough question to answer because it's like, oh, could he, if he voted out Heidi, could he win? Probably, possibly. There's really good avenues there because Jenna ended up being the entire season spoiler there at the end. But how would he know? How could he know? Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. There's nothing I can add to that. It's, if you're looking at would Heidi have been in that balance challenge instead of Jenna, you know, she probably beats Rob anyway. Women have smaller feet and better balance, so... I mean, that's the thing. If you're just looking for a straight flip, there's no way to know either. Right. And Jenna was showing some fight and all those things. And you notice that Matthew stepped down, you know, because he was trying to throw that challenge and put the onus on someone else. But does he have that confidence that, you know, neither, no one really wanted to go to the end with Rob because they thought Rob had a really good chance to win. So does Matt even throw that final three challenge if it's Heidi? And he's, you know, not entirely confident that uh, Heidi's going to beat Rob and take Matthew to the end. And not Rob, you know, like there, there's a lot of what ifs there that we just mm-hmm. don't know. All right. Moving on. Question five from Stephen Lionetti. Why was Kelly Wigglesworth snubbed of the Colleen spot on All Stars? 
to me, having all four of the Toggy Four would have been much more interesting than Jenna Lewis and three fourths of the t- three fourths of the Toggy Four. Ooh, all star casting questions already. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, we got a lot of these coming up. Get ready for them. I'm ready, man. Let's do it. Do it. Yeah, uh, my my answer to this one is, um, I never thought Kelly was really a big character in Borneo, and I don't know. That's kind of a weird thing to say since she was part of the Toggy Four. But to me, it's like you had Richard, Rudy, and Sue who were the three remaining members of the Toggy Four, and Kelly kind of bailed on them about midway through that season where she didn't really want to be in the Alliance. So it was really the three of them against the world, and Kelly just kind of got to the end because she kept winning immunities and messing up all their plans. But she was never, I mean, from what I recall, a beloved character. It's not like she was hated, she wasn't loved. She was just kind of a, an interesting character, but there was maybe ten more interesting characters in Borneo, in my opinion, than Kelly. So it didn't surprise me at all that she wasn't picked for All-Stars. And that people ask, why was she snubbed instead of Jenna Lewis? I just think because Jenna Lewis is a little spunkier. She's a little feistier. And Kelly, I mean, Kelly has kind of a flat personality. She doesn't go up or down very much. And also, I think there's a bigger question there. I think Kelly really didn't like Survivor that all that much. And I think she made it clear she didn't want to do it again after Borneo. So if you're saying she was snubbed, I don't think she was snubbed at all. I think probably she just didn't want to do it. Yeah. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you want people back that really want to play. And, you know, maybe Kelly wanted to come back and play. But, if again, it's funny because people are going to ask us our opinions on who should have been brought back for All-Stars. And you probably have people in mind that probably didn't go. And I have some people in mind. I think, for the most part, the All-Stars cast was pretty on point considering. And we'll get there. But, uh, you know, with Jenna Lewis, it's funny. She is kind of a, a, an out-of-left-field cast. But it's like you wanted, you know, you wanted Borneo representation. Kelly is not super exciting. Uh, you know, and Colleen said no. I mean, there's Jenna Lewis, kind of the younger Pagong, who, you know, sort of figured it out near near the end at a little bit too late. And you're like, well, maybe she can go do something. And she wanted to be there. And at the end, you kind of want people to be there. And if they think she's going to make good TV, then get her on there. Yeah. And I, I will point out once again, I think I mentioned this in our Borneo podcast, that the producers were absolutely sure before that season started that Jenna Lewis was going to be their big villain. She just had that she was greedy. She was money hungry. She was selfish. She wanted to be on TV. She kind of had a mean streak. They, I mean, Mark Burnett wrote about this in his book. Jenna, Jenna Lewis was destined to be that villain of the first season. And it just never really happened because that, that wasn't really how Pagong worked. You, they, someone like that would have stood out, would have been voted out in a second. So why they brought her back over Kelly, I totally understand because I think she had way more potential as a character. And how she played in All-Stars is the way they expected her to play in Borneo. So... I actually they think they expected to play. They expected her to play like a whiny tryhard that would eventually have a sex tape. Exactly, the oh, sex yeah. tape they knew. Yeah. So yeah, so that's the thing with. Uh, I think they made absolutely the right choice with Jenna L over over uh, Kelly. And I, I, if I had, if they went back in time, I'm sure they would do it again too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, number six, Cameron Johnson asks, "What were some of your favorite moments so far that you've recorded in your podcasts?" Well, wow. I'm going to have to go uh, – well, and any time that I say something amazing, which is all – no. I would have to say <laughs> – when I think of, when I think back of our podcast, the, the just moments that we all kind of are laughing and uh, over something that, that we said is, is really good. I, th- I actually really harken back to just Paul's uh, gene rant is one of the best <laughs> things I've heard in a long, long time. So hats off there, Paul. This is a difficult question for me because I have a quirk in that – I have never listened to anything I've ever done before. Like, I've never heard one of our podcasts. I don't listen to anything I've ever recorded. So I don't remember a lot of the pot, of the historian stuff. People kind of remind me of jokes we had. I don't remember them half the time. 
one thing that I'm particularly proud of is the Zoe stuff. And the reason why, <laughs> the reason why I've written about Survivor for 10 years. I mean, I've written more about the show than just about anybody. And I've never once ever in that time thought of, jo of Zoe as being interesting or funny or, or like having a character at all. Somehow you didn't, Paul's, you didn't dig, you didn't dig her eyes or nothing. Or I dug nothing. Presentation. Whatever digging the opposite of digging is I did that to Zoe. So, I mean, there's not even a mention of Zoe on the funny one, 115, I don't think. So, so Paul starts in and his rant about how Zoe's awesome. And somehow in the middle of the podcast, he sells me on this concept. And now I think that Zoe's the funniest character ever. And so now we're just throwing out Zoe riffs left and right. And again, that was not my intention. I never planned any of those. So it's just funny, the little stuff that comes up on historians that I wasn't planning for at all. Never in a million years would I have thought that Zoe would become a major character on these podcasts. Zoe or Butch. But, or... And yeah, Butch. Butch is another guy I never really appreciated. And you started doing that. That's dry. I'm sure you'd let, the audience would love to hear you do a Butch impression right now. Mario, if you, if, if you want to do something, you just put your mind to it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you need to just believe in yourself. And you need to remember that those machetes, they are sharp. <laughs> they will kill you. Yeah. So dry. stuff like that. Stuff like that. Again, I never found Butch all that interesting. And it's funny because I know Rob Sesternino back in the day used to tell me how awesome Butch was, how he was like his favorite team uh, player to play against. And, and then you started. And so it's little stuff like that that I kind of in my head lay out how these podcasts are going to go. And it never goes exactly like I do because stuff comes up that becomes funnier than the actual topic. So, yeah, mm -hmm. the Butch stuff, the Zoe stuff. And, I mean, that's that. those are the things that I remember the most about these podcasts that – like just the combination of the three of us just kind of creates this weird synergy where we come up with a whole new little weird universe of Survivor where Zoe and Butch are now the major stars and Nick Brown. You will never make Nick Brown good. You will <laughs> never. You try it now, trying. you'll fail. <laughs> All right. And I have to say on my own behalf, there's one joke that I was particularly proud that I made. It was, uh, it was in the uh, Marquesas one. When you guys said something about African things, and I just off the top of my head said, hey, that's what Pascal, that's how Pascal referred to Sean and Vesepia, the African things. And that was one, that's maybe my favorite joke I've told in the podcast, but nothing beats the Zoe stuff for me. <laughs> no, that's pretty good. I mean, most, <laughs> most, most references that, that I get on Twitter and blah, blah, blah are all work hard, play hard related. <laughs> so, you know, we, do, do we have, is, is that a shirt that's available on Funny 115? It probably is. I'll have to go check. I'm not entirely sure if you can get that shirt, but if you'd like a work hard, play hard shirt, I can make one for you. We need one. And again, that was all Paul. A lot of people say, well, Paul doesn't really talk much on the podcast. You don't really notice he was there. Paul's like, amazing. All, all that Zoe stuff was Paul. We just ran with it. So that's the thing. I really hope Paul can continue doing these shows because he adds a lot to it. That Zoe stuff absolutely kills me. It still does. All right. Uh, question number seven from Charlotte Ducharme. Everyone talks about how screwed over Andrew Savage was by the outcast twist. Nobody ever talks about how screwed over Sean was. The chances of him winning were probably gone, but he probably would have gone a lot further. If they merge 5-5, five, five, he immediately flips over to the Morgans and changes the game and it goes deep into the merge. Thank you, Charlotte, for caring about Sean. <laughs> I know. You first are the off, first. Yeah, that's an excellent point about a character that I couldn't give a shit about. <laughs> But she, I mean, that's the thing that she has a point there. If, if, if the outcast twist doesn't happen, they go into the merge at five, five Morgan comes out ahead on that because it's Sean that flips over uh, to there because Morgan was sitting tight 
and and Drake was fracturing. Um, but you always have to go. You always have to think there's fair play involved, and you know something would have happened along the way. That's my opinion anyway, because I'm not. I mean, Morgan was tight, but you know that like fair play would have done something, and something would have been amazing. Yeah. Although, dude, don't forget. Remember, Sean told us it was his game. Now, it was his game. <laughs> yes. And I have to take back what I said. I don't not give a shit about Sean. He's a lot of people have pointed out over the years. He's actually more funny than you think he is if you go and pay attention to him. So he's a good underrated character, but never until I read this question did I ever think that that the twist cost Sean Cohen the game. Well, it just—I mean—it just goes back to how great Pearl Islands is. I mean, Pearl <laughs> Islands is just a gem of a season. It's just great all the way through, and every character is good. Even the characters that are more throwaway, like Sean, or even like mm-hmm. Dara, who goes far into the game, and you know, it's just kind of like, like there's there's gold mines to be had with everyone there. And you know, the, you know, people that go back. I've had people that you know that have that have written to me, and and they've gone back and seen some of these seasons that we've talked about, and they're like, you know. Lots of people get confessionals, but it's just not that like almost everybody gets a confessional. It's that I get to see everyone, and there's fun moments with everybody out there. And I feel like that's something that's still kind of desperately missing from Modern Survivor that I miss. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there is some cool – I mean, the game is more complicated, and I do like the complicated game a lot of times. I mean, you know, just the fact that, you know, it's very simple, get an alliance, pagong the out. I mean, just – I mean, that's still the core of the show, but like there's all these twists and turns. And I can go with twists and turns. I can deal with complexity, but just the the – just the fact that you know you can you can have this conversation just about funny little moments that Sean Cohen did on <laughs> on Survivor Pearl Islands is amazing that you can't have in some of these modern seasons and I think that uh, I mean I think that that's something missing and I and I wish that you know we we got some of that back. Absolutely, every single person there had a point. That was that's the way I like to describe it. They all had a purpose, and you know Krista, she was a big fan of Sean. <laughs> Sean <laughs> is the biggest puss I've ever met. I hate that guy. <laughs> why, why, why do you hate him, Rupert? He takes my spear. Oh. You like my new hairstyle, Rupert? <laughs> I do lovey-dovey. Lovey-lovey-lovey <laughs> lovey you. My little pumpkin. <laughs> pumpkin butter. Uh, can we score some meth, Rupert? <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going to do this all day. Right, we got to stop. Oh, my God. <laughs> We have like we have like twenty requests for people just to say, "Hey, Jay and Mario, just do Rupert and Krista's stuff." <laughs> so there you go. <clears throat> All right, uh, this is question number eight from a guy named Approving Artist who asked me at least fifty-five different times on Survivor Sucks to give him a shout out. So here's your shout out. His question was: Given Jervis's finish where he got zero votes, do you still hold the opinion that this makes him and all other zero vote getters a terrible Survivor player? Now. This one kind of breaks my rule, and I didn't really want to do modern seasons. However, since it involves Jervis, and it is kind of an interesting question, I decided to include it. In my opinion, I don't think Jervis played really a bad game in uh, Blood vs. Water. In fact, because he did exactly what I've written about many times over the years, which is how you always want to be the number two guy in your alliance. You always find some other guy who's going to draw the heat. You be the number two guy behind him. You know, problem solved, because... There's no chance he'll ever be voted out. So <clears throat> from that point of view, I think he did a great job. The only problem with that is at some point you have to depend on the number one guy is going to get voted out, and it never happened. But I don't think Jervis played a terrible game at all. I just think he, he played it well. It just didn't really work out his way at the end. So that's all I can say about that. I will slightly disagree. 
I don't think that Jervis is a very good survivor player, mainly because I think Jervis lacks a lot of uh, just perception out there. And you could see it sort of in that first season. Again, the first season's a very weird jumble, so you can't totally just hold that against everyone. But, you know, Jervis didn't vote correctly except for voting BB out. So, you know, and yeah, that was a lot of Pagong just doing Pagong things, and that's fine. But, you know, he didn't vote for Richard at the end. Jervis is just kind of doing his thing, and Jervis was perceiving things different from other people. And he was out there, and you are exactly right. He found a good alliance with Tyson. He had other pre-sort of alliances, but he, he hitched up with Tyson and said, I'm going to go with this in Blood versus Water. That was a great decision by Jervis. And Jervis mm-hmm. did a lot of great things in there. I, I To say that Jervis is a terrible Survivor player is not necessarily true. However... Jervis and Monica, for that matter, you know, the problem is, is that it's it's cool to be in an, a, a dominant alliance and it's cool to have like a number one guy sort of, you know, make calling the shots and making the decisions. But the problem is, is that both of them failed to realize that everybody liked that guy. <laughs> yeah. And if they like that guy, you need to get that guy out. If they hate that guy, you're sitting pretty because they won't vote for that guy. But, you know, the fact that, you know, there were clues along the way that said, we like Tyson, we'll probably vote for Tyson. You can't just go to the end and say, well, I was kind of hoping that they'd all just dump on Tyson. They've told you that they're not going to. So you need to change the plan. And they didn't. And it's kind of unfortunate they didn't. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, You know, and I think that, I don't know if this is a question later, but a lot of people just said, you know, does your opinion on Jervis change? It doesn't at all. Jervis is a likable guy who, you know, is 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 got decent survivability skills uh, in a social game. And I think that showed, you know, if you looked at it, it showed in Borneo, and I think that it just kind of came through in Blood versus Water. I never saw Jervis mm-hmm. as a potential winner of Survivor. I just saw him as a, you know, he could go far given the right uh, circumstances, and it happened. Yeah, you could draw a lot of parallels between him and Stephen Fishbach in, in uh, Token Team. Same thing, like, if you're the number two behind the big guy who everyone wants to take out, at a certain point, you kind of have to take him out or it's not going to work out real well for you. And that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. I mean, I, right. I, that would Sorry. be it drawing between him and Fishback because I think <laughs> Fishback is the superior strategist. But uh, oh, how uh, dare by, you say that? By, by, by a wide margin. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. You know, you, you got a tight alliance with somebody and it's cool. You can say, well, I'm going to put them out in front and uh, they'll catch all the flack. But if they're catching praise, then you need to do something. Yep. All right, question number nine. I love this one from Gary Dreslinski. Mike Scoopin and All Stars, tell us what happened. Well, Gary, there was a fire, and uh, he hurt. He hurt pretty bad, Gary. Terry, <laughs> yes. dang it! What would you 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 go? Oh man, Jay just tongue tied. Tongue tied, like both of us. <laughs> <laughs> Edit all that out. All that. All that's bullshit. We cut all that out. All right, we cut nothing. Are you kidding me? Exactly. We're you're gonna we're gonna release this verbatim. It's gonna be exactly as we recorded it. Okay. So Mike and All Stars, what happened? This is an interesting question. I would love to say I can tell you the definitive answer. All I can tell you is what I've heard. And again, I I have a pretty good track record because I've had a lot of sources with this over the years. <clears throat> but Mike, Mike was a was a. Uh, not a producer favorite for many years. And the reason why is because Mike Scoopin tends to open his mouth when he shouldn't open his mouth. And I've, I was told this by about four different survivors over the years at different events and stuff, how Mike is a great guy, except he's always late. He's always running late. And he always will release information to fans that he shouldn't be releasing. And, and this is what I heard happen with him at All-Stars. That I heard is that he was cast in All-Stars. He was going to be one of the nine male cast members. 
but he made the mistake of blabbing it to people. Oh, I'm on All Stars. It's going to be season eight. I'm one of the cast members. And you really were not supposed to do that back then. And CBS was absolutely, you know, they would they were very tight with this rule. You did not break this rule. Do not blab about the show insider stuff unless we say you can. So what I heard is he was cast on the show. He blabbed too much. They decided to make an example out of him, so they cut him. And that was why he was not on All Stars. And that backs up pretty much everything I've always believed. I mean, I thought, going back to 2003, you got to go back in a little time, uh, time capsule here about 10 years ago, that if I'm casting All-Stars after season seven, Mike Scoopin is just about the first guy I put in that show, just because his storyline was so unresolved and he was a big name. Not a beloved name, but he was a big name Survivor character with a big story. And it would have been a huge moment to see him in All-Stars get a second chance. And then for him not to be on that cast was absolutely stunning to me when you had people like Boston Rob who were so much more minor characters than him. So, again, I've heard the story. I can't 100% verify it's true. Like, I don't, I'm not a CBS insider. I don't work at CBS. I wasn't on the selection committee. But I've heard enough people over the years tell me this, that I believe Mike was in that cast for All-Stars, and he opened his mouth like he did a lot, and he got nailed for it, and they made an example out of him. And that's what I think happened. That passes the smell test to me. Mm-hmm. That sounds, yeah, you, that sounds pretty right. Yeah, and you've seen Mike do this recently if you're on Twitter or Facebook recently, that he, he talks a lot when he shouldn't be talking, especially about Survivor. He's, released, he's accidentally released spoilers. He's accidentally given away details about the show. And again, people were telling me 10 years ago that he was notorious for doing this. He was not really a favorite among the producers. And again, you know, the favorite, people will say at this point, well, why did he come back later? He came back like in season 25 or whatever season that was. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's changed. I don't know if the circumstances just changed, but I do know in 2003 he was not really well-liked by the producers because of this open, this big mouth that he had. <clears throat> All right, let's go on. Uh, question 10 from Eli J. He says, which three contestants from a post-Heroes vs. Villain season do you think would have been big characters if they had appeared in the first season? He goes, just pick any three random characters from recent seasons you think would have shined if they had been in Borneo. That's a really hard question. Actually, there's two that came to my mind immediately. Oh and this boy, is here we go. Yeah, this, this is because I've, I've talked about this on the internet when their seasons came out. And these are two characters that were both mocked really bad on the internet at the time. And I remember thinking, man, if this had been someone in the early seasons, you wouldn't be mocking them. They would be the big, they would be like the Kathy O'Brien and the first one is Monica from this season. I think Monica's storyline would have just been eaten up if that had been Borneo. It was all about ethics, wanting to break out from her husband's shadow, wanting this to be her time. If you had had that storyline in the first season, that would have been a really big, captivating storyline. And the other one that really jumped out was Lisa Welchel's story. I think, again, if you'd put her in the first couple seasons, that storyline where she breaks down, it's all about ethics. I mean, it's really close to Kathy's story kind of in Marquesas, where she kind of overcomes all this guilt and all this stuff, and she becomes a pretty successful survivor player. So those are two that just jump into my mind right away that they would not have been mocked. They would have been quite beloved for the exact same actions as they did later, Lisa Welchel and Monica Culpepper. I like the Lisa... Uh... I think I think you're right about Lisa Welchel. Um, Monica, I feel though, with with a lot of modern Survivor, with a lot of returnee sort of things, you sort of need to know. I mean, 
there's a lot of things that went into Monica's story in uh, Survivor Blood versus Water, mainly being just the fact that her husband, Brad Culpepper, was out there with her that helps kind of, you know, be the catalyst for that story. If Brad is not present, yeah. then we kind of have to, you know, there's all, you know, you saw him out there, you saw him struggle and people kind of gang up and get rid of him sort of early in the game. And then she has to talk about how, you know, Brad's misunderstood, but then she's trying to get out from under Brad's shadow. All of that is not present if he's not out there and she's yeah. just out there by herself. And then it sort of relegates to back to Monica appearing on Survivor One World, where, I mean, admittedly, she was sort of a non-factor in the game. So we didn't get a whole lot of her story because that's as modern Survivor do. But, uh, you know, that sort of really has to become present, whereas Lisa Welchel needed nothing other other than Lisa Welter to get that story going. So yeah. I like that answer a lot more. Um, I think Dawn Meehan would probably be a very beloved character if she's on one of the first couple seasons. Um, mm -hmm. I guess we're seeing a pattern here of sort of the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the middle-aged uh, female character sort of getting a lot of play in some of those early seasons. Well, that, okay, that brings up an interesting question. That the, we're going to go off topic here, but it's interesting that the Survivor audience doesn't really like middle-aged females as much anymore. It's interesting that we mention all these three. They were all kind of mocked mercilessly on the internet, and people don't like them all that much. But, like, these are the three Which we picked funny. out as... <laughs> yeah. It's funny because they're kind of the catalyst for a lot of these later seasons. You know, they may not be the big character or, the, or, or so much the focus. I mean, I think Lisa Welter was was very much the focus in Survivor Philippines. But, you know, Dawn was the driving force in Caramon, even though it was the John Cochran show. It was a lot of Dawn's decisions that sort of drove that uh, that show going. And, I mean, Monica definitely, you know, the Survivor Blood vs. Water began and ended with Monica. You know, I mean, that finale was all Monica. I had the, the yeah. one of the bosses, I mean, one of the principals of my school who knows that I'm a survivor guy came up afterwards and said, I just watched the finale. He didn't watch the whole other Blood versus Water. He just watched the finale. He said, I thought Monica had it. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm like, that's interesting that you say that. But if all you saw was the finale, the story was about Monica. You know, it wasn't about Tyson. It wasn't about Jervis. It wasn't about anybody. It was Monica's story. But it wasn't Monica's story the whole time. You know, it, it sort of came and fit in spurts. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that sort of the middle-aged female gets uh, is a sort of a driving force for some of these later seasons. And yet people don't like them. It's very weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's I, li I like to think about this question a little more. Again, I'm not really strong on the seasons after Heroes versus Villains because I don't really care about them that much. So I, I'm having a blank drawing even some of the ma the major names. You know, one name that jumps out is Leaf. Leaf would just be a huge character in any season. I'm kidding. I don't know. Leaf was <laughs> Leaf was dud. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I, I totally yes, I agree. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of names that come up that I would be like it would be fun to see what. The they would have looked like on the first season. Not that I necessarily think they would be big characters. I don't know. I think Kim from World, who I think was you know an an early season. I don't know. Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think now. Um, does Coach Wade count? Is he post HBV? <laughs> no, he's season 19, and he's the very first person I thought. Just can you imagine if he had been on Borneo? If Coach was doing his token teen shit on Borneo, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been amazing. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> you know, but there, there's people that I think would have been good, like Marty from uh, Nicaragua. You know, there, there's there's some people on there that I think would have gotten some, would have had some, may, maybe had a good storyline in the first couple seasons of Survivor. But uh, I think we we're just going to exhaust ourselves. We need to move on. All right. Question number eleven from Robert Milner. I've been growing more and more convinced over time that Paul is secretly Charlie Herschel from Survivor Gabon. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, he's not here. Could you please answer the rumors once and for all? Well, Robert, Paul's not here right now. But then again, neither is Charlie. Hmm. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if he's kidding in that question or serious. I do not believe that Paul is secretly Charlie Herschel. I have seen Paul rave about Marcus before, so it makes me wonder. So I just, I know, <laughs> honestly, I, I have no idea. No, he's, I don't think he's Charlie. Doesn't everyone rave about Marcus, though? Like, does anyone like sit there and bash Marcus? Is that is that a thing? Do people do that? <laughs> Just Colton. Colton's the only one that does. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go here to uh, question twelve from Jericho McCune. I'm interested in a Tina Wesson alternative. Would the for Survivor franchise be much different if Tina would have wouldn't have gotten the first intentional purple edit, and all of her work and machinations had been put on display? So basically, uh, yeah, would the franchise have been different if Tina was shown being the mastermind? No. No, it's, I say no. Yeah, not really. I mean, again, it was so necessary back then to hide the winner. They didn't really give her a purple edit as if, as if so much as they just needed to keep the winner a surprise. That was the big deal with the producers. The audience could not know the winner ahead of time. Would the franchise have been different if Tina had come off more like Kim in One World? I don't know. I mean, it's... Uh, they really again. You, it's hard to think of this question in a vacuum because you really can't, you really can't uh, overlook the fact that the the winner of the second season had to be presented totally different than Richard because Richard was so disliked. So you can't really say like would Tina have been given more credit? Would, would Tina's reputation be better if she'd been given more credit? Because they weren't going to give her more credit. That's just how it couldn't happen after Richard. So it's an it's. I'm not sure you can answer this question. All right, what do we got here? <clears throat> Question 13 from Joshua Lemer. Who do you guys think is the worst overall player from the first seven seasons of Survivor? Uh, I don't I'm know. Going to, I, uh, you know, I don't even you, have to think about this one. I want to hear you first. Well, I'm going to give a wishy-washy answer, so you go first. I'm going to say an answer that will generate lots and lots of hate mail because they got to the final two, but I will say Lil is the worst Survivor player I've ever seen. It... <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> I don't know if I can really disagree with that I mean I've said it before I've said it on this podcast Lil cut a swath through Survivor Pearl Island she just left you know just a mushroom cloud of destruction in her wake but what you know and, and people you know on the last listener questions people said well you know she sort of you know set a path of destruction like Dawn did in Karamoan but it's like Dawn knew what she was doing she was you know doing something on purpose and you know cutting throats to get her to the end Lil was just so reactionary and knee jerk the whole time you know she was getting uh, manipulated around by Fair Play and by Burton and you know she was just you know they were just kind of playing on it I mean it was it was incredible that you know she just sort of unintentionally sort of screwed up Pearl Islands for a lot of people, uh, and it's amazing. And I'm glad that we got to see it. Now, is there anybody you could like think of a, a logical argument that anybody could have been a worse player than Lil? And it, it's, I know it's an easy answer to name like a first boot, but like Sonia didn't really have a chance. She was old. You know, Peter was awkward. John Raymond was awkward, but you can't really argue they were a horrible player because they only really got one chance to make a first impression and they screwed up. But, I mean, Lil just consistently just screwed everything up for everybody. I think, I think I, I, I'm going to say this, and I think this is the first time I've said this out loud, and that's not everybody can win Survivor. Uh, you, know, every, you know, everyone goes in there and everyone kind of, 
you know, it's a TV show and, you know, there's 16 to 20 people that go on a season and play Survivor. And, you know, we see their their bios and stuff on CBS.com and all these other places beforehand. And, you know, so we sort of pick favorites and, you know, these are real people going on the show and we start to, you know, get favorites. And then because the show's so popular, people get fans. And so everyone's just like, oh, well, you know, poor Lil, she could have been going on there. And it's like Lil in all likelihood didn't have a chance in hell of winning that game, just who she was and how she was going. And, and with all seasons of survivor, there's a good, you know, if there's 18 or 16 people on survivor, there's a good six to seven people that just have no shot at winning just as to who they are and how they're going to be going. And it, you know, the, the, what you try to do is suss out who those people are. And you know, what's, what, it's tough to say, you know, if someone ha- comes on there and has no shot at winning, are they a bad survivor player? No, not really. I mean, they're not great, but, uh, you know, they're not really given much. But, you know, Lil, not that great of a survivor player. And then she managed to get herself in all these fun situations. And so we had a large sample size of Lil mistakes versus, you know, like a Sonya's first boot. She didn't really make any mistakes. She just wasn't going to win. And she was out early. And so, you know, it, it, you, to be a bad survivor player, you sort of have to get into good positions and then make poor decisions. So, you know, that it, it requires a little bit more work and effort and sample size. And I think we've got a lot of it with Lil. Absolutely. She had plenty of times to prove it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, even the stories that come out about Lil afterwards from like Sandra, from Fair Play, from any other interviews, like nobody ever says anything nice about Lil during Pearl Island. So it's like, it's consistent. I've never seen a player that was that consistently disrespected. All right, here we go. Uh, question 14 from Michael Quigley. At what point did you decide you disliked New School Survivor? I asked this question not as you looking back in retrospect, but at the time when the seasons were airing. When did you decide it was officially a different game? And additionally, when did you decide you didn't like this new game? That's an interesting... Now, Jay and I are quite outspoken that we prefer the older... At least I think... I don't, I don't know if I'm speaking for Jay, but... I mean, me, obviously, I... I really have no interest in Survivor after about a certain season, after about, I would say, about 12 or 13. I'm really not that interested in what happened after that. But, yeah, it was. I'm, I'm not sure if Jay agrees with me. But, yeah, for me in particular, when it just seemed like a different game, All-Stars absolutely killed a lot of my enthusiasm for this franchise. But it kind of it kind of rebooted itself after that with Vanuatu, which I think is really an underrated mm-hmm. and great season. And I think it did a good job. And then they started getting real twist-heavy. And it was right around the you know, Guatemala with the extra of the Hidden Idol, and then Exile Island with the four tribes and the Hidden Idols, and then Cook Islands, which was just an orgy of twists and idols and goofy crap. And it was right around there that I decided I really didn't like this anymore, and I really didn't care. So if you're looking for my answer, it was right there in seasons 12 and 13, where it really didn't feel like the same to me, and I wasn't that invested in it anymore. So that's my answer. Was, in particular, Exile Island. And I'll always say there was one, there was one stretch of episodes in season 12. It was like it was like they had, they had like three or four weeks off in between episodes right in the middle because of basketball playoffs or something. And I was so pissed off about that at the time because Survivor, like all these reality competition shows, are built on momentum. You have to have a week, episode, episode, episode. It has to build. And you can't go a month between episodes. It was absolutely a momentum killer. And that was really kind of the moment I'm like, this show really isn't made for me anymore if they're going to start doing stuff like that. So I would say it was right towards the end of Exile Island. It kind of changed for me. Yeah, the transition really is around Exile Island, Cook Islands, um, and, and as it goes. I mean, this is the thing. We're still here talking about Survivor, and I, I can't speak for Mario, but I can speak for myself. I've not missed an episode of this show ever. 
Uh, we've gone on many, many seasons into Modern Survivor. I still watch the show. I podcast about it on The Tribe, a Survivor podcast. I still watch the show. I still take an interest in the show. Uh, you know, from from kind of the older, I mean, and the show has to adapt. I mean, I think, uh, you know, in Blood versus Water, one of the one of the final tribal things, Vita says you have to adapt or die. That's correct. The show has to adapt and move forward. And I'm okay with that. But where Survivor loses it for me is less on the twists. I mean, you know, yeah, twists can be kind of whatever. But there was a stretch in Cook Islands. And I, I know everyone's always like, Jay, why do you hate Cook Islands? It had a great winner. <laughs> it had a great cast. And it had a great this. And I'm like, it did. And yet I didn't care about it. You know, it was it was a very soulless season. And, you know, if you look at if, if you're just sitting there on paper going, it had a great winner in Yule. You're right. It did. Yule's great. It had a great challenge dominator in Ozzy. You're right. It did. Ozzy was great. It had Jonathan Penner for comic relief. Yeah, you're right. It did. It, but at the same time, you know, some episodes happened and people got voted out and I just couldn't bring myself to care. And when I watch Survivor, I usually care. Like, even if I know what's going on or I don't. And I mean, I've watched this this game for a lot of times. So, you know, very few things surprise me anymore. And that's fine. I don't care that things don't surprise me. But, you know, I'll like on in some seasons, later seasons like Philippines and, and even this latest Blood versus Water. Like I was I was generally invested in an episode, even if I knew what was going to happen and who was going to go home just by reading, you know, what was going on on my TV. I, I cared about the people on the show and I cared about what was going on. And, you know, there was a stretch there in Cook Islands and in and, and Panama and and whatnot where I like I was watching the show, but it was literally just going through the motions. I just could not care because they were just showing me stuff. And it was like, all right, great. Okay, cool. All right, that happened. All right. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's over. Oh, do I have to watch it next week? And it sort of became a chore to watch my favorite television show of all time. And that's, that's, that's a bad place to be in when it feels like a chore. And uh, it was like that for a while. But, you know, with Survivor, like anything, you know, it, what I've learned is that, you know, the, the show, it's, it's, it's dependent on cast and twists and a lot of other things going on, just how the show is presented. Uh, you know, are there, were there more good seasons, I feel, than bad seasons earlier than later? Yes. I think that that is definitely the case. And uh, I think that, you know, good, really good seasons are, are now very rare in Modern Survivor. But for the most part, I still think the show is mildly entertaining. I watch it. I'm not really going to badmouth it too, too much. Do I feel like the older seasons were better? Yes, because there was that sort of, you know, I, I really cared about the people on the show back then because I felt the show made me care. Uh, and it doesn't so much these days now. It's just about here it is. If you like it, fine. If you don't, whatever. And sometimes I don't. But, you know, sometimes I do. That was a really mm -hmm. long-winded answer. I hope that made a little bit of sense. Yes. So, yes, the answer is it's right about the same place for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, question number 15 from Munib Khan. He says, do you know anything more about Ted's racism accusations against towards Clay since it came out of the blue in the final tribal council? Or is this a situation where the producers have no footage of it a la Omarosa against Erica in The Apprentice season one? You talked uh, about this have... in the pod, Thailand. You, you talked yeah, about he said it in you, the Thailand. Do we have any more evidence, any more proof? No. All I know is what I've heard in the interviews. I don't know any more than that. I have nothing to add other than what we said in the Thailand podcast that, yeah, that they claim that, uh, was this Clay against Brian or Ted against Clay? I mean, there was a lot of racist stuff in that finale, if I recall, where now they're yeah. saying that Brian was saying they couldn't have two black winners in a row. So, but no, I don't know anything more than what we said on the podcast. I don't know. I don't know if it's a hundred percent true, but there's definitely interviews out there that suggest all of this is true. Who knows? Uh, Question 16 from Cameron Johnson. 
what are the possibilities of you guys redoing the Borneo podcast in the same episode by episode style of the podcast afterwards? <laughs> we recorded that what three years ago at this point. I don't, I don't remember the Borneo <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, and again, I don't. I never listened to anything I remember on, so I've never heard our shows. I, if it was totally different, this is news to me. I don't remember that. Do you remember? Well, that? let me remind you. The first episode we ever did, it was uh, the three of us and Beatles. Yes. And uh, we talked for a little over two hours, and we talked about Borneo, we talked about Australia, and we talked a little bit about Survivor Africa, and then we ran out of time. So then the three of us did the next podcast, and it was just one podcast, and it was, uh, again, around two hours. And uh, it was just the three of us, and we, we didn't talk about it episode by episode. You sort of had some big bullet point topics that we talked about. Like one of the first things we talked about for you know, a good half hour or so was just the question, is Survivor, was Survivor rigged? you know, at the mm-hmm. time, you know, and whatnot. And that was sort of, we sort of went on big topics or big questions that people had, you know, and just more of the production stuff that went on. And then we sort of ended Borneo the last half hour of that show. Well, we did some listener questions because we were doing that at the time too. Uh, sorry, guys. And then uh, we also <laughs> did the, um, <laughs> we also did the, uh, you know, a where are they now segment for Borneo, which we didn't do mm-hmm. otherwise. And then in Australia is really the first podcast where we, we sort of, you know, it was a two-parter, first of all. Now, now they're mainly routinely three. But that was sort of where we went, all right, what happened in episode one? What happened in episode two? We didn't really do that with Borneo. We sort of just did big topics and talked about everybody. Mm-hmm. I think we covered it pretty well. I know people really yeah. want us to kind of go down there and mine, uh, you know, each episode for, you know, fun little tidbits and quirks. But I feel like Borneo is just, you know, a, a magic in and of itself. I think just sort of talking about the show itself and just about the raising of the show and the concept of the show the way we did. I think that was pretty good. Yeah. Well, again, Borneo is is a season that is so well documented. I mean, there's books out there. Yeah. Mark, Bur- Mark Burnett has dissected that season down to every little detail. So. I don't really feel the need to go in there and redo Borneo just because there's nothing more we can say that's already hasn't already been out there for 15 years in books and stuff. So, again, just read Mark Burnett's book that tells you everything you have to know about Borneo. Read The Stingray by Peter Lance. It has a bunch of good details. So, no, I, I think there's a 0% chance we'll go back and redo Borneo just because it's been documented. There's no per- point to having a Borneo podcast, really. Also, read any bullshit that Mario Lanza writes because I'm sure he's going to talk about Borneo quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, my amazing partner Mario Lanza has probably written something that is just great. Yeah. Again, I have a book coming out which is like 700 pages on the first three seasons. So there's a lot of Borneo in that. So you'll get your fix. Oh, but no. God. I mean, great. <laughs> that sounds amazing. When's yeah. that dropping, Mario? I don't know yet. That's why I'm not mentioning it too much. You I don't know. At, at the end of the podcast, I'll give you the details on my book. I don't know much. All right. Uh, question 17 from Michael Cermak. What is your philosophy on the notion that Survivor is just a human version of chess? I personally think it's way off base because it assumes that people gameplay exists in a vacuum and disregards the human and society building elements of the show. However, I often see many fans characterize Survivor as such, and I'm wondering when the tone shifted from the show being about a social experiment to being one to being about who can be the biggest strategic robot. Uh, is Survivor a game of chess? No, that's not even close. I mean, I've never heard a good survivor player describe it as a game of chess because every player has their own motivations, their own desires. You have to understand their desires. So it's, it's not chess at all because chess is very one dimensional where I move this, they move this, I'll move this. That's, that's so simplistic for what survivor really is. So no, I totally disagree that survivor is a game of chess. Survivor is survivor. It is, it's its own beast. And, and, 
when people say Survivor is a form of chess, they're trying to just analogize it to something else. And I understand the analogy. I don't think it's, it's, it's correct. Uh, you know, uh, I often – and I've seen – I've now caught up and, and seen a lot of seasons of Big Brother. And I think if you're going to make uh, uh, an analogy just on game complexity, I would almost say that Survivor is checkers and Big Brother is chess. But neither is true. None of that is true. It, none, neither of those are checkers or chess. Survivor is Survivor. It is its own social game. You know, but people are trying to talk about, you know, with chess, you know, good chess players, you know, can think several moves ahead on the board, can, you know, move things and say, well, they're going to do this and then I'm going to counter with this. And, you know, I think that, you know, Rob Sesternino said it best. You know, you sort of need to know what you think of everyone else, what everyone thinks of you and what everyone thinks of everyone else. And it's, you know, it's all about, you know, as Mario said, it's all about, you know, knowing people's wants, desires, how things line up. So I think that people need to think, uh, plan ahead and say, you know, these people are thinking this way and I think that I can do this. And I think the good survivor players can do that. And so I think people analogize it with chess because that's that whole several moves ahead sort of thing. But it's not a chessboard. People are not chess pieces. It is its own game. Uh, and we should celebrate that. I mean, it is the gold standard of reality television game shows, and uh, it's still going after all these years. So uh, kudos. This is going to be a really nerdy uh, comparison here, but I know I have a captive audience in Jay Fisher. The game that I would compare it to much closer than chess would be something like Dungeons & Dragons, like one of these role-playing yeah, okay. games. Yeah, where no, you're, I, That's totally you're playing, valid, D&D. Yeah, you play characters in your head. Other players are playing characters. You have to play their character for them and kind of interpret how they're going to do something and then you will react to how you think they will do that. So to me, it's much more like a role-playing game in your head. You're like, you're like a dungeon master. And I know that's incredibly nerdy, but that's, that's way closer than chess. And uh, what was the second part of that question? Uh, he asked, uh, I'm wondering when the tone shifted from the show being about the social experiment to being who can be the strategic robot. Well, really the first one was the only one that was 100%. social game where it's just people living in a society after that the minute people learned how to play survivor it became more about strategy and it just slowly and slowly evolved into all strategy so when did it flip from being more strategy than more social i don't know but when did it start switching that would be season two because everyone had already seen it before yeah i mean Everyone always wants like a, a a cooler answer, like down the road when they added this element, blah, blah blah. They add elements because the game gets more and more complex because it's it's like anything. It's like rats in a maze in a psychologist lab. It's like once you run the maze once, you kind of know how the maze goes, you know. And, and it's no longer just some free form of oh, what is this thing? How do we do this? So you know. As what's fun to watch the show from the beginning and why I recommend people watch the show in order instead of watch season 19 first, then 12, then 7, then 6, then 25. Watch them in order because if you watch them in order, not only are you going to get some great freaking seasons right at the beginning, but you can see the game and, and not just the game, but just how people react to what they've seen before. You know, and, and you can also see people, you can clearly see people that have not seen an episode of Survivor before in their lives still trying to figure out the game, but they're in the game with people who have. And just and just the, the concept of Survivor, you know, people forget Survivor was a super popular show. It was one of the, po- it was at one point, it was the most popular show in America. And so everyone kind of knew the concept of people on an island, they vote each other out until someone wins. You know, people at least knew that. In the first season, no one had any concept other than, you know, sort of what was being told them but you know people sort of knew the concept of survivor going in and you know 
twists and turns, immunity idols and, you know, double boots and all this sort of stuff. That's just stuff for them to complicate the game to kind of throw people a curveball. And it's, it's again, kind of changing the maze that the rat has to run a little bit or adding doors or doing some sort of thing. Uh, and that's fine. And people have to adjust because, you know, if you keep having the same maze and the rat will just go through the maze and get the cheese at the end. And that's fun. Uh, for for not so, so very much, and the, and the show is probably dead. So I can understand that sort of thing, but seeing people react to the game and sort of you know figure things out and just other things and how you can do things differently along the way, that's the fun. And at the end of the maze, we do like nature intended, and we have the snake eats the rat. Oh, don't you know, babe? <laughs> Oh, like, by the like way, spoiler rat. alert! My, but spoiler alert! My my uh, impersonation for Survivor All Stars is probably going to be a lot of Sue Hawk. So get ready. All right, you ready for that, Paul? Oh shit, Paul's not here. Oh shit, fucking Paul! Fucking <laughs> fucking it. Paul! Hey guys, I'm here in Germany. Go oh team! That's the worst fucking impression ever, and I loved it. <laughs> that wasn't an impression. That was uh, Paul. Hey guys. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, Bessie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, Paul, get off your rollers. Let's get off your rollerblades. Let's do another question. <laughs> yeah. Question number 18 from Owen Craig. As someone who came to Survivor late in the game, I've recently been watching the older seasons, and I just finished Survivor Fiji. I was thinking about how you mentioned the swath that Lil cut through the game of Survivor during Pearl Islands, and it occurred to me that you could make the case for Dreams cutting a similar swath through Fiji. Can you think of other players that were basically the Lil of their seasons? <laughs> Dreams. <laughs> well, I guess Monica would kind of be, well, I don't know. In, in a sense, no. she's just screwing everybody's plans up. But just, it depends on how you define the Lil of the season, just screwing everybody else's games up. Yeah, I mean, there's that. I mean, you know, in, yeah, I mean, it's it's the weird spoiler role or sort of the reactionary, you know, I'm I'm now out for revenge. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things like that. I think that Dreams is a pretty apt thing, but... On the other hand, I think that, you know, Dreams got as far as he did because people underestimated what he would do and think the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, he was sort of a wild card, and he got he got to the end because I think people thought that they could predict what Dreams was going to do, and it turns out that they couldn't, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and at the end, you know, everyone's like, you know, then, he, then Yao Man, like, gave him the car and then said, and you have to give me the necklace. It's like, and everyone's like, that Dreams, he didn't give Yao Man, and it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's you know? Dreams. I got a good answer for this. I just thought of somebody who cut maybe the biggest swath through a game ever. Sugar in Gabon. Oh, sugar. Oh, my God. Absolutely, absolutely unpredictable sugar. Everything she did seemed to be what would make for the best storyline on TV, not necessarily what would be in her best interest. So, yeah, she absolutely cut a swath through that season to the point that she's like Johnny Fairplay in that the season could not be about anybody but her at a certain point. It was the sugar show, just like she wanted. So. And I'm a big fan of Sugars. I loved what she did. I loved that season. I love her in that season. I don't think she deserved to win. I think she deserved exactly what she got at the end. But oh yeah, that I mean, was, that was her show. It, just, it was a comeuppance at the end for her, definitely. Yeah, but she would be the closest I could think to a Lil or a Dreams, just absolutely destroying a season for no reason other than whatever whatever motivations are floating around her head. Yeah, they're they're pretty pantheon those three. I, I think that <laughs> yeah. you I think that you have it right there. Uh, with dreams, but uh, yeah, sugar is a really good answer too. Yeah, Gabon's a good season. I love, I love sugar, and I love Gabon. I'm not ashamed to admit it. A lot of people, it's not really trendy to like sugar. I think she was so great in that season. It may, I mean, every episode was better because of her. Whether you like her or not, it made the episodes better. 
She did well. Gabon had, I mean, it had bitchy Corinne, and I mean, you know, it has Randy. Anything with Randy is better, right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then you had Marcus, and you had Paul Osselson in there. Yeah. Paul Osselson was great. <laughs> he loved Marcus, he was, too. That's right. All right. Question 19 from Josh Williams. I'll never forget the night the third episode of Marquesas aired. I remember my family and I being just freaking blown away when Hunter was voted out. Never before had a strong, likable, athletic, hardworking man who performed well in challenges been booted out of the game before a merge. It was just game-changing, and I don't think new viewers feel the full impact of that when they go back and watch these early seasons for the first time after watching recent ones. Could you talk a little more about this particular moment and the reaction it had on the message boards? Oh, yeah, that was that was a biggie. That, like a, the, I've said this before. There are a couple of Survivor moments. I always remember where I was the first time I saw them, and that... Hunter being voted out third just did not happen. That was unbelievable at the time. And the response on the message boards was very similar to Hunter's final words, which was, you fucking idiots, why would you vote me out third? You're going to die out here and the Red Cross is going to have to come and find your corpse. So that was the reaction. It was just absolutely shocking at the time. And he's, he's absolutely right in that question, that there's no way to understand that impact unless you watch the seasons in order and realize that was the first time that had ever happened. An alpha male who got along with who was the leader getting voted out that early. Like, you could say Kel was voted out early, but Kel was a spaz. You know, I've read more, a lot about Kel over the years. I've learned about him. He absolutely had no social skills whatsoever. He got along with nobody. People found him weird and alienating and off-putting. But that was not Hunter at all. Hunter was the leader, and it was just a question of these pseudo-alphas rising up, wanting to take up take out the real alpha and that just was not done in survivor that was such a again the quote-unquote stupid thing to do in survivor you don't vote out the biggest strongest guy in the game when you've lost every challenge up to that point so that was the response and yeah that was an amazingly big moment it was but again it's back to my whole rat running through the maze thing it's just people figuring out the game and people figuring out that you could play it a different way you know everyone's just like well of course you keep the big strong guy in if you're losing challenges but if you're losing all the challenges what good's the big strong guy doing you and you know if you've got the chance to you know make a power move because you'll probably have some power going into a merge then you do it and so you know looking back it's actually it was actually a great move for rob and some of those other people uh, on Mara Amu, but you know, as you said, it was just unheard of. But again, this is this is us learning the game. This is this is mm-hmm. why you go back and watch an order, and you just watch these people figuring out this game. That's what's amazing when you go and rewatch this stuff. Yep, and I I do not remember one single person anywhere I saw on the internet praising Boston Rob's move at that time. He wasn't even Boston Rob yet; he was just Rob Mariano. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the thing. I I do not remember one single person saying, "Wow, that was a great, brilliant move." That was just across the board. Just these fucking morons. What the hell? Yeah, and that's that's Rob's legacy through all the through all these years. I mean, you know, people consider him one of the better players to ever play Survivor, and I mean, I think that longevity comes into that. But I mean, Rob did show from the beginning, and we didn't recognize it. And I'm not saying that we did, uh, but you know, just looking at his track record and going back and rewatching, looking at his track record. I mean, Rob will do whatever he feels will get him further. You know, I guess to win is one thing, but you know, just to get himself further, that's what Rob will do. And you know, Rob saw a chance in taking out Hunter, and he took it. And I mean, that's that's something that, you know, we do have to kind of go back and mark and say, yep, someone saw an opportunity and then took the opportunity. That's that's important steps in, in early Survivor. Although I do have to say one thing, lest we give Rob, you know, too much credit here, that that was not only his plan. Like Sean wanted Hunter out. Vesepia was more than happy to help them. So it wasn't just one guy changed the game. But yeah, I mean, no, obviously yeah. it was mostly Rob, but it took it took a 
the, the, the correct member of the correct parts to make that little equation work. Yeah, Rob and Sean were so thick as thieves in those first uh, those yeah. first couple episodes. It seems like you know who had the original thought. I don't know, but both of them thought it, and both of them agreed. And I think that you know either one wouldn't move unilaterally at that point. Yeah, wasn't Sean that said, "I'm an alpha male too." Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sean. here we go. Question twenty from Evan DeRoche again, which I think I might have pronounced correct that time. He said, "Evan says I've always thought that Richard Hatch jumping off at the final three was a terrible move." Well, he was right that both Kelly and Rudy would have taken him to the final two. Richard would have been screwed in a final two against Rudy. He was just lucky Kelly didn't lose. Thoughts on this? Um, I totally disagree with... I mean, I agree with you in theory. He would have been screwed if Rudy had won that challenge and taken Richard to the end. Except Rudy wasn't going to win that challenge because Kelly was a horse and did not lose challenges. And she was absolutely fierce and Rudy was 72, so... Well, I agree with you in theory that it could have backfired on Richard, I can see like a 2% chance where it would have backfired on him. Kelly was almost guaranteed to win that challenge. Yeah, and you, you have to think this way. I mean, Richard knew it as well, and he, he talked about it in, uh, you know, when he was sitting there. And you always have to go to his words. If it's two, Richard probably loses to Rudy, but Richard knows this. This is the risk that Richard has run. So you can say, well, it's dumb. He's put his fate in someone else's hands. But, you know, he's sort of, he's sort of tied up here. He, you know, Rudy is a man of honor, and Richard has promised final two to Rudy. But you know that Richard doesn't want to go to the end with Rudy because Richard will lose. So mm-hmm. Richard, if Richard wins this challenge outright, he's clearly going to vote out Rudy and then, and then take Kelly. But with such a tight jury... Richard probably, he may lose Rudy's jury vote because he votes out Rudy and it's this man of honor final two thing. So if he wins and then votes out Rudy, Richard maybe loses Rudy's vote. And he knows this. And he knows that if he wins and takes Rudy, he probably loses. And if Rudy wins and he takes Richard, he probably loses. So he's like, if, if Rudy wins this challenge, I'm, you know, I'm done either way. And if I win and I take Rudy, I'm done. And so, he, and so he's like, it's, if Kelly wins, Kelly won't take Rudy. Kelly will take me and I can beat Kelly. So you know, he found out all those angles and he says, if Kelly wins and I don't, I don't lose Rudy's vote because she's the one that's voting out Rudy. It's completely out of my hands. He ran through all the scenarios and he ran through all those scenarios on the beach. It is a scary thought to think like, my God, if Rudy wins, then I don't win Survivor. But as Mario said, it's a pretty good bet. I mean, it's not like it was 50-50 Kelly-Rudy. Like, you know, the odds were heavily stacked in Kelly's favor in outlasting Rudy in that challenge. Uh, He just kind of played the odds and uh, he played the odds well yep again the thing you have to keep in mind with that challenge like jay just said the worst thing that could possibly happen to richard is richard wins that challenge and he just didn't want that to happen what if what if all the time he's standing there thinking this kelly and rudy both accidentally take their hands off and fall off or something like he absolutely could not win that challenge that's worst nightmare scenario for richard so yeah he takes himself out of the equation he runs he plays the odds and it's like a game of craps at that point you play the high odds and it worked out for you so i don't think it was a stupid move at all for all that I talk about, and you know, you hear people talk about strategy in Survivor, and yes, there is a lot of strategy in Survivor. There's a lot of thinking in Survivor, but it, it, there's a lot of luck in Survivor. And I don't want to say that you know everybody's lucky, but you know, to, that's where I think we try to parse like who's who's a great winner, or who did this, or who did that. You know, people are trying to take. You know, a lot of people had some bounces bounce their way, and uh, you know, sometimes people create their own luck, but you know, sometimes you sort of have to just kind of. 
you know, things kind of have to go your way. And for Richard, he kind of had to bank on the fact that Rudy wasn't going to win that challenge. And, you know, if Rudy wins that challenge, it's a different end of that season. But you have to kind of just roll with it and play the odds sometimes. If you can stack the odds in your favor, then obviously your chances are better. Sometimes people take long shots in the dark, and sometimes they work out, and a lot of times they don't. But, I mean, Richard felt pretty good in that situation. And and sure, he was probably nervous. And sure, there's a chance that, you know, things don't go his way. But the chances were better that they do if he steps off and tries to have Kelly win that challenge, which is what happened. Yeah, and again, you have to factor in the fact that Rudy was pretty well-liked. People kind of applauded for him when he won challenge. He was, he was kind of the sympathetic figure out there. So that's just one more strike against Kelly when when Rudy Kelly has to go out there and vote out Rudy, who seems to be pretty well-liked by the jury. So that's just one more little strike against Kelly right before the final vote in a game that was very much based on how well-liked you are and how respected you are. So again, he was just piling up the trying to pile up those votes against Kelly before it started, before he got to the final tribal council. <clears throat> All right, uh, question 21 from Colin Harvey Lewis. What survivor winner do you think had the highest degree of difficulty win, and who was the lowest degree of difficulty? Oh, this is, this is almost impossible because there's so many variables in every season. I mean, you could just as easily say Richard was playing survivor against people who had never played before, and it was easy, or you could say, there was no template to winning Survivor, so he had to make one up, and then it was the most difficult win. So it's really hard to say who has the easiest win, who has the hardest win. I mean, someone like Brian Heideck, who is so good at Survivor that he makes everyone else look like novices next to him. Now, what's the argument? Did he have an easy win or did he have a hard win? That's the thing. How, how much is based on how good he was? So I don't know if I could possibly answer this question. I'm not prepared for this question, so I can't give an answer at the moment. But I, I, I sort of agree with the sentiments. It's we we can look at the season and say, you know, from the way the season was edited or presented to us, we can say this person's win was a little higher in degree of difficulty, and this person had a little bit, you know, like everyone's always like, well, Rob in Redemption Island, you know, all those people were just sheep and they loved Rob, and it was an easy win. It's like I don't know if it was that easy. I mean, you know, it, did were were there favorable favorable conditions for him yeah he he drew a very favorable condition but you still have to do it and you know there are things out there that we don't see uh you know uh, john cochran and caramoan i think had a pretty low degree of difficulty win because i think his draw was good he was on a uh uh you know it was a fans versus favorite season so obviously the favorites are heavily favored and just you know his position with the people he knew and just the way the tribes were uh, the way the tribe was composed he had a good draw but you still have to do it. You still have to go all your way all through. And there's stuff that happens along the way. Things need to bounce your way. You need to make some certain things happen or things need to kind of go right around you or you need to make some decisions at certain points. I don't know. I, I think it's almost impossible to answer because every season is different. We, you know, I think that's always the big challenge in Survivor is we try to put some, you know, some global standard or some global sort of stamp on how to play and apply it to every season but every season is just self-contained and i don't think you can do that so it's almost impossible because then you have to kind of compare season to season i think that gets hard yeah the, there's one survivor the one win i want to point out specifically i don't again i don't think you can really answer this question but there's one i would like to highlight because there's there's a variable about this particular win that i love mentioning Vesepia in marquesas was never at any point in the majority in that game, yet she somehow won. And I think that was probably the most difficult win. So just I just want to give one shout-out to one win in particular. Vesepia was always in the under, an underdog, was always in the minority, and she had to scrape for every little bit of success she had in that game. 
by that same token, Denise in Survivor Philippines attended every single tribal council, I believe, in that game. Yep, so she did. surviving all that, you know, that's that's a pretty good uh, it's a pretty good track record too. I think that you can't go wrong with either of those answers uh, yep. very much. Okay, uh, this question comes in anonymously, and this really isn't a question. This is just a statement. And they said, uh, I'm sure it was already covered in Thailand podcast, but I want to discuss again how the Aaron is actually a man jokes are pretty bad, and especially how it is a shame that they're all basically her only survivor lasting, her only lasting survivor legacy. Whenever talk about Aaron, people talk about Aaron Collins, they mention it. So he just wanted to, us to mention once again what a horrible thing that is. That's her entire legacy is that whenever Erin Collins comes up, people just neglect to, to mention the fact that she might have been the star of, she was the star of maybe one of my all-time favorite episodes. I love the episode she was voted out in, but all the people, the only thing people ever want to talk about is that she, people think she's a guy in real life. So yeah, that it's, I don't like that joke. I try not to make it if at all possible, but yeah, it's unfortunate that kind of became her legacy. <clears throat> all right. Uh, April Thomas, question number 23. What aspect of Survivor and its history do you enjoy sharing with the sharing the most with the listeners on the podcast? What do we like talking about the most? Jesus says, the opinions on characters, behind-the-scenes info, funny little moments, callbacks, what's your favorite? I just love this show. And in particular, I love these early seasons of the show. I mean, I love, I mean, Survivor Pearl Islands is my favorite. My second favorite season actually is Vanuatu, which we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, you know, but, but Amazon and Thailand and, uh, Australia and Mar I mean, these are just, I love this show. I loved watching the show when it aired. I love rewatching these early seasons. I mean, I can think of, uh, I can't think of many other activities I would rather be doing than just, talking the show and just kind of shooting the shit, cracking jokes, talking about one of my favorite shows. And that's what this podcast is. I mean, you know, it, there is work involved in putting this podcast together. There's, you know, there's research and, you know, I, I write down notes of, you know, jokes that I think of beforehand because, you know, I pay attention to my craft. But a lot of times when you get on the microphone, I'm talking to you and to Paul, it's just fun. Like, that's mm -hmm. my favorite part of the show. I can't, you know, I don't know if it's callbacks or jokes. It's just the whole thing. It's just getting to do this is is just the most fun. And the fact that there are uh, people that, that, that listen to this is just mind-blowing to me because this is just so <laughs> fun. So, you know, I, 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 I'm tickled pink by any feedback that we get uh, for this show, positive or negative, because uh, it's just so fun to do. Honestly, it really is. I have to say, I mean, I agree with that, obviously, like I've said before, when the three of us kind of sit Don't down... Don't say anything different. Screw you. <laughs> I love working with Paul. Paul is so awesome. <laughs> no, the thing that I'm most excited about is when, when I get to share kind of the feeling and the attitude of what Survivor was like at the time. I mean, this was such a large part of my life. I mean, I, I invested myself in this show and what happened on the show and the players and the timeline of it so much that you can just see when I start trashing All-Stars how much it hurt me that all that got ripped apart for me, that they took my, my Greek mythology class and they decided to change all the gods on me. So, I mean, that was the thing. I love sharing the experience of what it was like to be a Survivor fan prior to about 2004. I just love getting people into that world. And most of the feedback we get about the show, that's what they talk about. They're like, well, I'm young. I'm like 18. I just started watching the show. They're like, I find it fascinating to hear what it was like being a fan at the time. And that's that's my favorite thing. When I really sit down to talk about the seasons, that's the mindset that I try to get into. But to follow up on what Jay said, 
And what I said earlier is that we don't plan out how these podcasts are going to go. They're almost all improvised. I mean, it's improv 101 here. We just, you throw us down, we have a couple outlines of what the topics are going to be, and we just start going. And, you know, sometimes it becomes a good show, sometimes it kind of drags. And then sometimes we come up with these amazing things like, again, Zoe jokes, Gene jokes, Paul going on a rant where he's trashing Gene, just stuff like that. So it's just so much fun talking about this little world that we all know all so well. I mean, to the point that was we were probably unhealthily obsessed with the show at some point. I don't know if we still are, but we probably all were at one point. But yeah, it's just fun being a part of this whole little thing. And like Jay said, the fact that people will actually listen to it, you're just listening to a Skype call. That's just, this is just the three of us having a phone call. We don't treat this like a radio show. It's just the three of us talking. So we love that people listen to this and we just love that there's an audience for it. I have to uh, take everything back. First of all, fuck you, Mario. Second of all, <laughs> fuck you, Paul. Uh, my agent, uh, shut up, Tim, who's one of my... Uh, 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 co-hosts uh, co on the Tribe of Survivor podcast has informed me that really my favorite part of this is uh, mentioning that I live tweet Survivor. Please follow me uh, on Twitter, J underscore Fisher. Yeah, my favorite part was when Jay Fisher died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, this is too fun. This is too <laughs> <All> fun. <right. laughs> Question 24 from Justin J. Feinberg, although I should mention about six other people also sent in this exact same question. Since you last recorded a podcast, Jervis, Tina, and Rupert appeared on Survivor Blood vs. Water. Did that season change your opinions of any of the three, either as the game players or television characters? Um, no. My quick answer to this, yeah, absolutely not. I try to treat every Survivor season as a vacuum, as in no other seasons happened around them. The players never played again. So it uh, absolutely does not change the legacy for any of them, other than the fact that I already love Tina, and I probably love Tina even more in Blood vs. Water because she was so feisty. But otherwise, she I mean, yeah, she was fun. Yeah, well, I, I think we could say this about Rupert. We have seen Rupert play Survivor four times, and I think that we can say that Rupert is the most consistent Survivor player we've ever seen in our lives. Like, he... His 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 grasp and knowledge and just the way he plays the game hasn't changed in four seasons. That's all I'll Thanks. say on that. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> Aw, you're such a guy. The best guy. <laughs> Someone should give you a million bucks. And you should run for governor. Um, I... Tina is a funny one. I mean, I, I, I talked about how great Tina was on Blood vs. Water, and, you know, Mario knows... Uh, you know how much I love Tina and how we, we're big Tina fans here and stuff like that. And it was funny because people were saying to me like, "Oh my God, Tina's amazing!" I didn't, I had no idea. And to me, it's almost like there were there's there's these people. I'm going to make an analogy here. When the prequel movies of Star Wars came out, you know there was that uh, Episode Two, Attack of the Clones. There's that scene at the end where Yoda then has a lightsaber fight with, uh, oh God, Christopher Lee. Count Dooku is his name. Yes. Um, you know, and Yoda, it's that whole CGI thing where Yoda pulls out the lightsaber and then he's doing spinny things and kind of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's like, oh my God, Yoda's a badass. I can't believe Yoda's <laughs> a badass. And I'm like, if you couldn't figure that out from <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, you want, like, what are you watching? You sort of have a problem. And so, like, people are like, oh, my God, Tina's amazing in Blood versus Water. I had no idea. And it's like, how did you not know by watching Survivor Australia? It was there. Can you not see it? Yeah. To me, Tina yeah, is to Yoda. Me, yeah, to me, someone coming up and saying, wow, Tina's good. It's like someone coming up to me and saying, wow, pizza tastes delicious. I'm like, well, no shit it does. <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah, t I mean, Tina may be my all-time favorite player. But, yeah. I could not be more pleased that Tina has this new legion of fans now, like a new generation. 
to me, that's the only thing I really care about when it comes to the fact that they played again. Otherwise, I, I again, it will drive you crazy to, to compare survivors from different seasons to start saying how they have a legacy. They don't. Every season should be taken as a vacuum. It just that it's a it's a it's, it's finite start and end point, and that's really all they were like. Johnny Fairplay, Pearl Islands is not Johnny Fairplay, Micronesia. Do not compare them. It's a whole different thing at a different point in his life and different stuff going on. So I don't think it changed their legacies at all. It is. I will disagree with you just on one point that, like with Boston Rob, you know, each season's self-contained, but Rob's edit or his story in Redemption Island when he finally wins, if you, you know, they do callbacks and like his story is very abrupt at the beginning because they're taking his previous three seasons into the storyline. So uh-huh. some of these returnees that come back, you know, and, and Coach is another one in South Pacific, their edit doesn't make sense if all you do is just take that one season in a vacuum. Some of those returnees, you have to do callbacks to the previous season. So that's where I'll disagree with you. But I fundamentally agree with you that yes, each season should be taken in a vacuum. And you know, there are people like Johnny Fairplay where like they're, they aren't intending you to, you know, continue on the story. That's not something they were trying to do in Micronesia. It's just, you, you can tell when they're trying to do it with certain characters. Cause when you look at the season, you're like, that seems unfinished, but it's like when you, combine it with previous things you're like oh it's this whole comprehensive blah 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 which they actually did with Boston Rob which I think is kind of fascinating in and of itself but uh, that's very rare yeah that's true all right question 23 from uh, Michael Cermak taking the long view of survivor history as being broken into eras what is it about seasons one through eight era that especially seems to have turned off newer members of the survivor fan base is it the emphasis on character building over game bottery uh, he, yeah, that's that's the basic gist of the question. Why why do newer fans of the show seem to have a problem with seasons one through eight? <clears throat> okay, this this absolutely breaks my heart when I hear this question, but I know why it's asked because I have seen this before. Like I have seen legitimately people go on the internet and say, "Well, I have a friend I want to introduce to Survivor. I want to show him his first season. So what season should I start with?" And then they'll always say something like, "I don't want to start with Borneo because I don't want to turn him off," and I'm like. What are you saying if you if you think Borneo is so boring that a TV watcher can't get into it? Like, I'm sorry, were 60 million people wrong in 2000? Were people just stupid back then? So I, I take great offense when I hear things like that. But then, unfortunately, I hear them all the time where people will say, oh, yeah, I got a friend. I want to show him the show. But I don't want to start on the early seasons because he'll be bored. I'm like, I, I don't even know how to respond to that because that's so fundamentally different from my thinking. So. I don't know. What do you think, Jay? What is it about the early seasons that tends to turn off some of the newer fans? The modern survivor is less on, again, I talked about it. It's, it's less about getting to know all of these characters and getting to know them on this adventure and in this pressure cooker of a social game and, you know, kind of learning how to survive and how to deal with each other and kind of have to, you know, figure out the game. They establish that these people are out there and that they're playing this game. So it's less about the, the, the people and the characters, it's more about just the game itself now. Um, and then just people's effects on the game and, and, and sort of they're figuring it out. So people who are newer to the game look for more of the strategical, and I said strategical. Ha ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Screw you. They look for they look for more of the strategy elements of the show. That is what they look for. They look for, you know, that sort of, you know, people plotting out moves and numbers and, and things like that. And it's not like any of that is bad words, but that's just what they come to know. That's the that's the way Survivor is now. It's all about sort of, you know, how people can get these sort of 
uh, voting advantages over 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 others, and you know, splitting the votes to flush out an idol, or you know, the fear of someone having an idol, or you know, you know trying to blindside someone, and, and all this. I mean, I understand that it's all you know legit strategy within there. I'm not you know someone that does not understand this fact, but you know, then they go and they watch Borneo, and there's not really any of this going on. It's just people trying to figure out how to survive on an island and eating rat, and you know dealing with production, trying to fumble through early challenges and, you know, just trying to wrap their heads around the concept of an alliance. I mean, I can understand it in a way. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they've, nowadays, you know, the game is moving at a super fast speed and it's like someone saying, I want to get into football. Where should I start? And someone says, well, watch this thing. These guys have leather helmets and they run the ball a lot and they have things called 28 <laughs> skidoo and they go like, I, I, I'm not necessarily saying it's completely like that, but I can understand that. You know, the game is a lot slower. They're still trying to figure out the game. Hidden immunity idols are not in there yet. Um, all these other things are not in there yet. Redemption Island or, or Exile Island or any other sort of thing. It's really just, here's two alliances. You're going to vote in three days. One of you, one tribe's going to vote, and then at 10, we're going to merge. Like, you know, everything was so cut in stone at those beginning things. It was two tribes of eight. You were going to merge at 10. The merge person was going to go away. The final nine uh, was going to be the jury phase. The seven were going to be the jury. There were two people at the end. They were going to be the final two. And you just, that's what you knew. And then they started throwing things in like a tribe swap. But I mean, it's very kind of basic stuff right away. And people, you know, nowadays you watch a season of Survivor. There's, you know, more more than two tribes mainly. There's usually people that have returned and played before. There's hidden immunity idols. There's clues. There's all these sorts of things. And, you know, when someone's like, I want to introduce someone so that they can like Survivor, I'm going to watch Borneo. And there's none of that going on. I understand that, that, you know, people, they, they go back and they're like, this is boring. There's no hidden immunity idols. There's no strategy. There's no this. And it's like, yeah, it's not what the game is at that point, you know? But it's it's not what people want to see, I suppose. This is fun. Just I, I saw a, a viewer, a new viewer of the show recently on a message board. She said she started watching the show a couple years ago with like uh, Nicaragua or something. And then she goes, and then I went back and watched Borneo. She's like, I didn't like it because Jeff kept explaining what tribal council was and what and what how they were going to vote. I didn't like that uh, he kept explaining it all. I'm like, why do you think he fucking explained it? Because it was the first season, you cock. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so yeah, I thought I thought that was amusing. Why did he have to explain it? Well, because when God came down with the Ten Commandments, he had to explain what those were too. It happens sometimes at the start. All right, where are we here? <clears throat> Question twenty six. Sorry, what? You said 23 last time. It wasn't 23. It was 25. Yeah, 26. 25. Go. 26. Neil Tracy asks, would Boston, Rob, and Amber still be together if Rob had won the million? Holy shit. That is really cynical, Neil. Holy shit. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what did we learn from Titanic? A woman's heart is a, a dark and deep ocean of secrets. We have no idea how Amber would decide. I'd like to think they probably would still be together. I don't know. How am I going to answer that? Let's let's give them some credit. I mean, in all this age of cynicism and stuff like that, here is a couple that met. I mean, they 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 their love obviously blossomed on Survivor All Stars, and we could make fun of that all we want. But it is many many years later. It's over ten years later. They're still married. They still seem to be very much in love. They have three children. They I think the fourth is on the way. And uh, you know, every time they talk about each other in public, it is nothing but just the most gushing lovey-dovey stuff i mean it seems like they're very much in love so let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say yes yes well said all right uh what do we got? question 27 here 
Charlotte Ducharme asks, if the Africa tribal switch had not happened, the Samburus had dominated the second half of the game, and one of the Samburu Mallrats had won, how do you think that would have affected Survivor? Well, if, we would see Lin what Silas would do with a million bucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how would that affect it? Um, the Party at Chip's of, house! Yeah, the cynical side of me says the producers would not have allowed that to happen and that there may have been a second twist later in the game just to prevent that. I don't, I, I don't know. That's, it's impossible, impossible for me to think of that question without thinking. The producers would have found some way to stop that because Silas and Lindsay were so not popular. Party at Chip's house. Let's go. <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it would not have been good, and I don't think it would have happened. Yeah, that they absolutely... I mean, Richard was not a popular winner. As much as I love Tina, she was not universally beloved. A lot of people hated her on the message boards. They called her fake. They were mad about her going through Kel's bag. She was not universally beloved. They really needed a winner that was pretty well-loved the third season. Lindsay winning the third season would not have really been what they were looking for. What they wanted was for someone like T-Bird to win or Lex. Lex was pretty popular. He, even then, he wouldn't have been universally popular. Ethan was really exactly what they kind of needed. And I'm not saying they fixed it so Ethan won. I'm saying they got really lucky that Ethan won because that's exactly who they needed to win that third season. But uh, Here yeah, you go. Uh, Here you go. Here you go. Here, yes. Here's one of these freaking, you know, what if machines. Because everyone's like, what if this happened instead of this happened? I mean, the answer is you don't ever really know for the most part. But here's one. Mm -hmm. Here's one for you. I've got it. If the mall rats go on, there is no twist. The mall rats go in and dominate the game. Probably more than likely Lex isn't brought back for Survivor All-Stars. And we don't yes. have all that shit between Lex and Boston Rob. <laughs> so let's yes. just say that, that whose fault is it that Lex and Boston Rob shit happen in All-Stars? It's Silas and Lindsay. Screw you guys. I hate you more than ever. Uh, you could blame it even more. It's Brandon's fault. Brandon had a chance to vote Lex out of the game. Brandon. In fact, I have to say, I'll, I'll spoil my book here. I have an entire chapter in my book called The Temporal Junction Point, which is the one point in Survivor history where if you go change it, it alters everything else in Survivor history. It's like the 1955 clock tower date and Back to the Future. It's the one date you don't fuck with. Like, if you go back to that Brandon vote and he votes for Lex instead of Kelly in Africa, it changes everything in Survivor history after that because Lex does not come back for All-Stars. There's no Lex in Boston Rob. In fact, Boston Rob might not even be on All-Stars because Brandon and or Silas might be in there instead because they were major characters. Rob maybe never meets Amber. I mean, it changes everything in Survivor history. It's that one vote, the Brandon vote for Kelly over Lex. There you go. It's very deep. There you go. All right. Uh, <clears throat> question 28 from Gary Dreslinski. Talk about how Boston Raw was a WTF casting choice. And how people at the time felt that it was his sucking up to production example, his final confessional in Marquesas, that got him the spot. All right, Gary. Uh, yeah, here we go. Hold on. <laughs> Boston Rob was a WTF casting choice, and people at the time felt that it was his sucking up to production that got him the spot. That's right, Jay. <laughs> what else do we have to say there? I mean, it was yeah. it was a he's low on the list. I mean, when I make a list, he's not on it. I mean, you know, obviously things go differently, but uh, yeah, I mean, that wasn't one of those universally accepted, like, oh, Boston Rob Mariano's back? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, this is something, I, I don't want to get too much into this. I want to wait till we get to the All-Star podcast when we start talking about the casting and stuff. But yeah, Boston Rob was not a slam dunk choice for All-Stars. No. He was no. really the ninth pick out of nine guys there, and 
he only kind of made it because Mike blabbed and uh, <laughs> and I think because he had some friends in production. But yeah, that was he was kind of an out of the blue casting choice. And I don't know about the whole sucking up to production to get him on there. I've never heard that before. Maybe that's true, but yeah, it's it was not a slam dunk that Boston Rob was going to be on All Stars. We'll just leave it. at I that will for say, now. I will say this, and this may be controversial, and it might you know get me kicked off of Survivor historians, which may make this contest even more important. <laughs> wow, but, two uh, slots. Oh, I know, but uh, Boston Rob, you know, he he did come back, and I mean, Boston Rob was then able to come back twice more after All Stars, uh, eventually winning this game. And I mean, he got brought back for Heroes vs. Villains again, not because of his role, his, his stuff for the most part on Survivor Marquesas. It was mainly for Survivor All Stars, and 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 then he got back brought back on Redemption Island, partially because of his returning stuff. Boston Rob's gotten a lot of mileage out of Survivor, and he and Amber went on The Amazing Race. You know, he's he's had a lot of reality TV success. A lot of it is stemmed by the fact that he did get brought back for All-Stars. So, and, and to tell you the truth, I mean, I actually have a lot of, you know, I, I associate mainly... Boston Rob's Survivor history is four seasons. It's mainly positive. He's brought a lot of entertainment to my television. I'm not saying I'm like a Rob fanboy or something like that, but the guy has brought a lot of entertainment to my television. So in a lot of ways, it was very good that he got brought back for All-Stars. But I mean, you want to turn that clock back. That is a really weird choice for him to get brought back. But I guess in (laughs) retrospect, it's one of those temporal junction things. I guess mainly the Survivor community is awfully glad he did. Yeah. I I do have to say I'm not really a Boston Rob fan, but yeah, he... He made the most of his uh, 15 minutes and he ran with it. And he generally what he has brought to the show has been positive. So I can't deny that. I, I will trash yep. him later. But yeah, he he uh, he did. He did. He did good. You did, right, good. Uh, you did good, son. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ain't going to be no rematch. All right. Uh, question 29 from Sean Walton. What's your guy's opinion on Alicia coming back for all stars? Was she worthy of coming back for anything other than the finger wag, in your opinion? <clears throat> this, this is funny because this is a question I get asked a lot. And it's, it's, uh, to me, the answer is obvious that I think she was absolutely a lock for All-Stars. I, n- I never foresaw a scenario where she wouldn't be involved in All-Stars. And the only reason I say that is because if you think of the first seven seasons, there were not a lot of these tough, badass girls who were like tougher than the guys. There was really Alicia and like Tammy from Marquesas. So she kind of was a niche that there was no other person to fill that niche. I mean, it was you had the bikini girls, you had the older moms, you had uh, like Tina, the former winners. But Alicia kind of brings something different. There's a whole different dynamic that nobody else from the first seven seasons had. Only she had it. And she was a pretty big star. I mean, yeah, the finger wag was big. But again, Australia was the biggest season in terms of audience. Overall, that was the most famous popular season. So. Do I think she deserved to be an All-Stars? Absolutely. It didn't surprise me at all when I saw her on there. In fact, when I, I wrote my first All-Star story, which was All-Star Survivor Hawaii in 2002, and I included Alicia in that too, just because at the time, she fills a niche in the story. She fills a, a, a dynamic in there that no one else can. She's kind of unique, so that's why she was on there. It wasn't just the finger wag. It's that there's no other real tough young chick on Survivor. I How about you? disagree. <laughs> I disagree, but I understand. Well, the thing is, is that I feel like you do have a leg up here because you, you know, with with your fan fiction writing, you do uh, figure out a lot of these niches a little bit better than I than 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 I know in my head. So I, I'm willing to defer to you on that. But just street uh, speaking plainly, I mean, you do. 
take what I'm about to say with this grain of salt, and the grain of salt is this. There were 18 people that came back on Survivor All-Stars. Nine of them were from seasons one and two. They were the two big seasons, Survivor All-Star, Australia being the biggest. And you look back, five people came back from Survivor Australia. And to tell you the truth, they could have brought back more. Like that season was just chock full of characters. So the fact that Survivor Australia is very represented doesn't surprise me. And, and, And Alicia was a character from Survivor Australia. So it doesn't totally surprise me. If I were doing the show, I would do it slightly different. I would try to even up the seasons even more, even taking into a fact that Australia is big. Alicia does not make my cut. Uh, she she just plain doesn't. But so to me, she does fall kind of in the WTF casting of Survivor All Stars. But at the same time, you're like, I'm doing an All Star season and from the first seven seasons, and I'm putting Alicia from Australia on there. I mean, I, I my reaction at the time, if I were in the in the casting room, is one of the people going, "Really? You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Ooh. She's from Australia. She was Alicia. She did the finger wag. She did all those things. She should be in." And I'd say, "Okay, she's in." Like I I wouldn't fight it. Uh, too much. You know what I mean? Like I, I completely understand it. Uh, but if I were doing the show, I would probably have other people than her first, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, she's not my first pick, obviously. You had Tina, Jerry, there's bigger all-stars. But you have to think, who who replaces her? Who really fills that niche? There's something she brings to the show that nobody else can bring. And again, I have to point out, a lot of people think all-stars means best players. Not really. I mean, you can't just have Eight, six to 18 the best players out there you want the big characters the big names the people we're talking about and i always have to repeat this a lot of people don't know this at the time that alicia had her own commercial after australia she and tina were in this reebok commercial so she was not a minor character by any stretch of the imagination so yeah admittedly she's not the best character she's never come close to winning she's not ever going to win but she makes scenes better that's one of the things that that she does that's that's kind of been lost in survivor in recent years you cast based on players that are going to make the scenes better even if they're not necessarily good at stuff she just makes scenes better because she's all conflict i mean i'll put it this way it's not that i'm saying that anyone particularly replaces alicia because i understand you're talking about you know alicia being the you know younger badass chick sort of uh 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 niche but uh, when I look at snubs from the all-star list, and there are, there are a few, because you know, we talk about like Colleen and Elizabeth, but like they were asked and they said no. So that's not a snub, you know what I mean? That's like, you know, they had the opportunity, they said no. But you look at people that didn't come back, like my biggest gripes, and I'm sure it's a question coming on here, but I'll just spoil it now and I'll spoil it on the all-star cast. I'll say it all. The two big snubs from all-stars to me is Helen Glover and Dina Bennett from... Uh, Thailand and Amazon. And I think that, you know, just the fact that they are uh, strong female characters that, you know, tend to kind of, you know, be in your face about things, I think that they, 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 they somewhat of the Alicia niche, but I can understand, you know, you know, just the age and the badassness and stuff like that. I understand. I get it. Yeah. And I would totally agree. Those are the two, two of them that I always think of when I think of snubs. And again, when you think all-star snubs, we're going to go over this in our all-star cast more. Don't think of them as 18 players that there were 18 even slots. You have to look at it as there were nine males and nine females. So the female snub list is a little different than the male snub list. But Dina and Helen, absolutely the top of my list. But there's one that I always rank even higher, and that's T-Bird. And the T-Bird one kills me. I know... And I have to admit, I have some bias on this one because I've been friends with T-Bird over the years. I just talked to her on the phone like a week ago. She has never been asked or called ever, even if she has interest in coming back on Survivor. And it kills me. 
I mean, she could have been the biggest thing in Survivor history if she had a little luck in Africa. That's the thing. So, but yeah, Tibur, Dina, and Helen. Those are the big three that. Again, but they were older. They're not really competing for the same spot as Alicia. They would have been great casting choices over her. I totally would have bought that, but I don't think Alicia was just pulled out of thin air. Right. Hey, Lance is pissed that that, uh, that uh, the middle-aged flight attendant didn't get on All-Stars. No, she did. She did. She's on Saboga. <laughs> no, the other one. Yeah. Wait, wait. He needs yeah, more. He needs more middle-aged flight attendants. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay. Here we go. Question 30 from Carl Bainbridge. What are your opinions on recruited pl- recruited players? Uh, this one's easy for me. I love recruited players. Uh, there's so much yeah. there's so much bias out there against recruited players. It's so stupid. Like, oh, I can't believe they all have all these recruits. They should they should cast people who applied for the show. And I'm like, if you knew all the players who have been recruited, you wouldn't say that. Like, Johnny Fairplay, Rob Sesternino, even Cochran to an extent. I mean. Some major, major figures in Survivor history were not really applicants. They were kind of recruited. So I think recruits, they don't always work out. But when they do work out, they can be amazing because the producers know exactly what kind of character they're looking for in a particular mix in a season. And sometimes it just works absolutely perfect like Johnny Fairplay. So what's my opinion on recruits? I would say the producers know better than we do what makes a good season. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but absolutely they should be recruiting because it can be, it can be amazing if it works. Yep. I'm sorry, right, I have nothing to add. It's, it, it just is. <laughs> uh, question 31 from Nicholas Lindsay. What one player from the early seasons do you wish we could have spent more time with on TV? I always thought Trish and Michelle had a lot more than going on in Pearl Island than we saw. Uh, do we wish we could have seen more on TV? Trish is an excellent one. Trish is one that always comes to my mind, too. I think she was a badass. She was one little tiny mistake away from running that game with Johnny Fairplay. And again, people forget that she and Fairplay were the first team. It wasn't Fairplay and Burton. It was Trish and Fairplay. That was that was the team. Uh, yeah, Trish is a good one. Who else from those early seasons? Do I wait? So, go ahead. Trish is a good one. Um... <sighs> This actually seems controversial, but I wish we saw more Sean and Marquesas. I know we saw quite a bit of Sean, but I want more Sean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think, would I like think to they see... Kinda... Ooh, who would you like to see? We had a little, we had a little glitch there, the, time, the sound recording. Okay. Uh, who would, I'm trying to think. The early seasons, it's almost impossible to say anybody like seasons one, two, and three, because I feel like I know all of them pretty well. Other than, like, Kim Powers, I don't know if I know that much about Kim Powers, but I don't know if I care that much about Kim Powers. Someone like uh, uh, Clarence, I think we mentioned before. I think there was a little more we would, I would like to see him. Kim Johnson, I actually Clarence thought was kind of funny in, in Africa. Kim Johnson had some funny lines. She had kind of a dry sense of humor. And I would have liked to see that a little more. But Trish is one that kind of jumps out. I like the Trish answer. Trish is good. Um... Yeah, Trish, Clarence is a good answer, too. I do like that. Um, I'm trying to think. Thailand. I think we saw all the people I want to see in Thailand, so I think we're good. You didn't want to see more Jed? No, I'm good on Jed. (laughs) Jed is terrible, so we're good. Uh, We're friends with uh, Tanya Vance here, so we'll just say Tanya here. We we would like to see a little more of her. There you go. There you go. More Tanya. All right, uh, question 32 from Evan DeRoche. If the Coconut Challenge never happened, 
how are Marquesas and Survivor in general impacted as a whole? Is John thought of as a great mastermind? Is Rob C. seen as the greatest ever for finally flipping the game around? Is Marquesas thought of as a shit season? If there Never. was no coconut chop... <laughs> <Zoe. laughs> Work hard, play hard. If not, then then it then it completely redeems itself on the kite flying challenge later. So never forget that <laughs> diarrhea. I like to think if there had been no coconut chop, that John would have done something to throw it away eventually, just because he was so damn cocky. Yeah. That's how I like to think of it. <laughs> yeah, when 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 you're around the merge and you and you started busting out those confessionals, like everyone is working for my success. Like, there's no way you're holding all that in. Like that, that yeah. is. That is going to get out somehow. Yeah, like, there's like no coconut things, chop. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like most things in Survivor, if if they didn't have this one thing at this time, it probably comes up a little bit later. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's all going to happen. Yeah, and I just come back to the fact that John would have done something to screw that up. <laughs> like, even if the producers didn't help, I have to believe he would have said something to Zoe or Tammy that would have pissed them off down the line. So. I mean, again, who knows what would have happened, but I don't think the road to four would have rode that to the end like he was expecting. Can I read the next question? Sure. All right. This question is from Justin J. Feinberg. It says, immediately after Rupert, Rupert switched places with Laura to put himself on Redemption Island in Survivor Blood vs. Water, Tina lamented the loss of Rupert by calling him, amongst other things, a fantastic shelter builder. Regardless of how knowing Tina and or the editors were of Rupert's shelter building past, did you find any humor in the quote making the episode? Absolutely. I live tweeted <laughs> that thing. That is the funniest quote ever. Ugh. My God, Rupert and his shelter building. <laughs> oh, my God. That well, is... It's just great. I have to defend my, I have to defend my girlfriend here. <laughs> she said he's a great shelter builder. She didn't say a great shelter designer. So, if someone... <laughs> had, he did a fantastic job building that horribly, horribly planned out shelter. No, that I think true. what happens and, there... And she, yeah. She was gone by the time Rupert built his coffin. So, you know, like yeah. they, they built a little shelter on day one or days, days one through three. While Tina was there, he probably, you know, did a good job, you know, with the chopping and the placing of things and the digging. And yeah, you're right. He's a great builder. See, I will defend Tina to the death. Although I will say, and I've had experience with this in the past, Tina does not really know her survivor history. And I've seen this come up before. She doesn't really pay attention. I mean, she likes Survivor. She watches it. She doesn't obsess over it like internet fans do. And I have firsthand experience on this because a couple of years ago she was on, uh, I think Rob, said, uh, Rob has a podcast, <clears throat> and she was answering questions. And there's one scene in Australia I've been dying to know for all these years, and that was, you know, there's this rumor that Tina got the information from Kimmy, or from a... Uh, yeah, Tina got the information out of Kimmy that Jeff Varner had a pre uh, previous vote, and that changed the whole season. And for years, I've been writing about this in my blogs, that you know Tina got that info out of Kimmy, Tina impacted the season, Tina was the mastermind of Australia. So Tina's on Rob Has a Podcast, and this is my one chance in Survivor history to back up everything I've ever said about how Tina is awesome. So Rob is asking for questions, and I wrote in my question, hey... Is it true that you got that information from Kimmy about the previous vote and that, that in effect, you impacted that whole season? I gave Tina the chance to toot her own horn, to finally say what I've been saying for all these years, to back it up. And Tina's answer was, I don't know. I don't remember. And I'm like, no, don't say that, Tina. So Tina doesn't pay attention to her survivor history all that well. She kind of knows 
she can see that like a blind person. She can see shapes and images and colors. She kind of understands what happens. She doesn't know all the details. So that's what I think happens here. She vaguely knows that Rupert has had a, a, a reputation as this amazing shelter builder, not realizing that he also built the worst shelter in Survivor history because she kind of forgot that part. Uh, I'm holding back. When we get to Survivor All-Stars, I will unload on the <laughs> Rupert shelter building. But it's funny. I feel like I'm building it up. Anticlimactic, but spoiler alert: it is. I support. It's the funniest thing ever on Survivor to me. That whole scene. It's just, it's, it's comedic genius all the way through. Everything about it is just fantastic. And I will be going through it bit by bit just to explain to you just the brilliance of the Rupert Shelter scene. It was a great shelter. We had a bench. <laughs> you did. You did. That was my bench. All right. Question 34 from Munib Khan. If Colby stood firm and said no to Survivor All-Stars, who would have taken his spot? That's a good question. Actually, Mario Lanza. <laughs> uh, again, when you, when you think these Survivor casting questions, you have to think who's replacing him, who's that demographic? If Colby goes, they're not going to replace him with Butch. But that's not it's not out it's apples and oranges so if colby says no to all-stars they need a young physically fit popular player who wasn't in the cast already and that you have to think of who was around through the first seven seasons who fits that bill and there aren't that many of them i mean does anybody jump out to you like ken ken from thailand is one that would kind of fit that that category and i know ken was kind of an alternate on all-stars that's kind of the kind of hidden secrets a lot of people don't know that he was one of the alternates in that cast ken from thailand so it's entirely possible ken gets that spot otherwise you could go back to borneo and say jervis also would have kind of fit that spot jervis is an interesting answer um that people liked i mean does matt von ertfelter get get life again um you know not that he was super liked but he you know the fact that Matt was weird and crazy was more uh, an Amazon cast thing than everyone else. Like, you know, people were befuddled that he didn't win. Um, here's an answer. He wasn't super liked, but does Burton get another chance? <laughs> That's exactly who I was thinking. Like, I don't think he would have gotten a chance just because it was so soon after All-Stars. Yeah, and they are After Pearl Islands. And they were already wary of casting Fair Play because no one knew what the reaction to him would be. But yeah, Burton would have been a fantastic choice for All-Stars to take Colby's spot. Yeah, I think Can in you a imagine vacuum, I think Burton... Oh, God, that'd be great. Mogo Mogo with Burton on there? That would be, like, the challenge-winningest tribe ever. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you have Burton and you got Lex. Wow, that's that's pretty good. <clears throat> Burton, yeah, Lex, might... Kathy. You know, like, you know that, that tribe would do some stuff. I think the boring answer is Ken, and only because Ken was already an alternate. And people have asked over the years why Ken was an alternate. And I guess, I'm guessing it's something very similar to this because I think it was like pulling teeth to get Colby out there to play again. I think it was 50-50 whether he was going to do it. And I think they had Ken lined up just in case. All right. uh, Question 35 from Approving Artists on Survivor Sucks says, do you guys think something like this could happen? Okay, imagine Amazon. But imagine the audience sees Matt like Rupert, Johnny Depp, and God rolled into one. Like how you see Gabriel, Mario. <laughs> Let's say Matt is that beloved and then Jenna beats him six to one. Do you think Survivor could have ever created an audience outrage big enough that would lose them enough viewers to cancel the show? And do you think production worried about this, especially in the early seasons? 
my obvious answer to that is I think they thought of this constantly in the early seasons. After that first season and after the response to Richard winning, which, again, was not happy. People were not happy. I think it drove just about everything the producers tried to do with the next couple seasons because they had to make sure the audience was happy with how Survivor played out and that they didn't want people to be outraged. So I think there was lots of thought put into what would the audience be outraged by and how can we not let that happen? Do I think anything could have happened that ever would have torpedoed the show? Um, If Jerry had won Australia, I cannot even imagine a universe if that would have happened. (laughs) Know, but if Jerry think, wins Jay? Australia, that show is is edited is is edited differently. You know, it's I mean, yeah. you always need to realize that you know we see ultimately about fourteen hours of footage from what thirty nine to forty two days of 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 them playing from multiple cameras. I mean, to say that the show is heavily edited is an understatement. They can make the show go. I mean, obviously people do things, you know, the way challenges turn out and the way votes go, you know, just the way things are like that. Like there are things that you can't necessarily fudge, but you know, the reason why people get voted out is not necessarily the reason that's shown on TV. And, and, and sometimes it it coincides and sometimes it doesn't, uh, you know, if Jerry wins, uh, Australia, then that, that season's completely different. Uh, That's how it is. So, you know, if Matt is the greatest thing since sliced bread and he loses 6-1 to Jenna, we're not seeing the greatest thing since sliced breadness. We're seeing all of the small faults and foibles in Matt and then Jenna wins. I mean, that's, that's just how Survivor rolls. So, you know, I'm not saying, you know, it, it's not like it's a, it, it's a bad question, but it's just like, what happens if this person's great? You know, uh, uh, you know, does, does the audience go away? The audience would never know because they're not going to let the audience know. They're not going to let the audience think, oh, this person's super great. Uh, you know, why'd they lose unless it's Russell Hance and you're leading into heroes versus villains. But other than that, you know, you, you kind of have to go your own direction with it and you kind of have to play so that, you know, you can get a palatable winner at least. Maybe not a winner you agree with, but a palatable winner. One thing I wanted to add was that uh, there was one thing that would have pissed off the audience enough that they would have left the show. And it really almost kind of did happen, except it's not something that happens on the show. This is the notion that Survivor is fixed and this whole thing with the Stacy lawsuit and then Colby breaking the law in Australia. There's all, all this weird stuff going on where, you know, Colby took a coral. He should have been busted. How Colby broke the rules with the carabiner, how Stacy, how her boot was fixed. All this stuff kind of came out right between seasons one and three. And that's the stuff that really would have chased the audience away. If that had taken a foothold and everyone would have thought that Survivor was fixed, that it was unfair that it wasn't as presented on TV. So that was the kind of thing that would have outraged the audience. As Jay said, stuff on the show never would have gotten to that point because you never would have seen it. But it was the stuff behind the scenes and all the media and stuff really wanting Survivor and reality TV to fail. That's the stuff that could have really done it if uh, it hadn't been hushed up real well. Yeah, Mario. Did you take the D-ring, Mario? <laughs> that That is a, a boot camp reference here on on Survivor Historians in 2014, I can guarantee we're the only podcast with boot camp references. Shit, yeah. Recruit Wolf, motherfucker. <laughs> That's right. I, I don't even want to explain that to people who don't go. There's an old reality show called Boot Camp. That was a very, <laughs> uh, very obscure reference. Never mind. All right. Uh, question 36. What by Lee Dunn. When in the All-Stars casting process did they decide to make it into an 18-person cast with three tribes rather than the traditional format? I've often thought this helped Boston Rob way more than the eight-person tribes would have. 
Uh, when did they decide to make it three tribes? I don't know. I, I'm guessing it was decided very early on to make it more than 16 players. Just because, I mean, it's going to be a huge show. You want as many of your stars on there as possible. They would have gone to 20 if they could. But 18 was pretty radical at the time. When was it decided to go to three tribes of six, not two tribes of nine? I have no idea. I don't, I don't have that kind of access. I have no idea when that came up. No, but I mean, it made for a great reveal. I mean, I, I've said it before. I mean, I know Mario, you know, I mean, on the whole, I think Survivor All-Stars is a sort of a sad season when you when you think of it all the way through. But I mean, there are parts of Survivor All-Stars that are great. Uh, really kind of the beginning when all the cool people are still there. And I mean, episode one of Survivor All-Stars is as close to Survivor porn as you can get. I mean, it is <laughs> just... I mean, the the opening the, the opening b- before the intro even just the the shot of the boats coming in with the with the helicopters I'm going to talk about this more but just the fact that it's three tribes you know and then you get the whole reveal where like the one tribe comes and then they see the other people come out and then it's like two's good here's three it's like oh my god it's just it's like fantastic TV so yeah. you know I, if Mark Burnett was like let's do three tribes because I'm envisioning this opening I mean that's genius it's it's literally yeah. just a great move because it's it's just fun TV. Even I will say that's one of the top 10 moments I was happy. I mean, the happiest as a survivor fan, just these moments you're so invested in the show and the history of the show and all the, the pomp and circumstance behind it, that you just get joy from watching the show. That was one of the 10 moments. I was the most joyful ever watching survivor was that whole reveal scene. That was everything I ever thought an all-star season would be. That was absolutely perfect. Oh Yeah. All right, here we go. Question 37 from Brian Whitehead. Hi, guys. Here's a question for your podcast. Who is the biggest omission from the Survivor Hall of Fame among players from the first seven seasons? Is it Rudy, Jerry, Colby, Tina? What about Heidi, Heidek or Zoe? <laughs> okay. Oh, Zoe. well, I, I realize <laughs> I'm looking at the time here. We're getting along and we, we sort of we, we're going to need to lightning round some of these things. But I, I feel like talking a little bit about the Survivor Hall of Fame is sort of... <laughs> uh, it's going to take a little bit. Um, I have very strong opinions about the Survivor Hall of Fame uh, in the entity that it is. But at the same time, my opinions and you know what makes good TV and what people remember and recency bias and stuff like that, it's always going to be very different. I mean, it's very fun when people are like, hey, Jay, you should get a vote on the Survivor Hall of Fame. And I guess I did because I Twittered in my votes uh, and whatnot. But uh, I guess to, to specifically answer this question, and, and long story short, I disagree with a lot of what's going on in the Survivor Hall of Fame. What's the biggest omission from the first seven seasons right now? Well, looking at who's in the Survivor Hall of Fame and who's not in the Survivor Hall of Fame, the fact that Jerry Manthe is not in the Survivor Hall of Fame is just a crime against humanity. I mean, yeah. th- to me, that's the biggest omission. I mean, you could talk about Heidek being such a great player, and I mean, I buy all that. And I'm sure Mario's going to mention other names, like, you know, Colby not being in is huge, and, and all that sort of stuff. And I, and I, I agree with all of it and, and whatnot. But just the fact that Jerry is not in, I mean, Jerry is the prototype Survivor villain uh, in the biggest season of Survivor that we've ever had, and she's not in, and that is ridiculous. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not really familiar with the Survivor Hall of Fame that much because I haven't really been paying attention to it. Because in my opinion, if they're going to do something like that, they should have started a long time ago and they should put some thought into history. Like, you're not just voting for who the most exciting recent players were. You're talking about fame, history. Like, who's the big name people in Survivor history? Like, and I hear that I, that uh, Jerry's not in there. I hear Colby and Tina are not in there. Like, how can you have a Survivor Hall of Fame without those three? It's ridiculous. So, I don't really acknowledge the Survivor Hall of Fame. In fact, I'm so cynical about the modern seasons that 
The only thing I see when I see Survivor Hall of Fame is this is the producers trying to gauge who they can bring back for the next couple seasons. They're basically, that's what I think. I think they're planning to have a Survivor Hall of Fame season down the road and they want to justify all these choices. So, oh, they're in the Survivor Hall of Fame. So I don't like anything about this whole thing. I don't even acknowledge it. I don't accept this as being a real thing. In fact, I'm such a dick about this that in my book, I even have a whole chapter about this called The Real Survivor Hall of Fame, where I just lay out who should be in there and I tell everyone to fuck this other one because it's stupid. <clears throat> so, But I will start right off by saying, if you're going to have a Survivor Hall of Fame, if you don't have at least half the cast of Borneo in there right off the bat, it's dumb. It makes no sense whatsoever because that is the building block and foundation of Survivor. Guys like, I mean, Richard, Rudy, that is what Survivor was. Sue Hawk, all these people. So, again, that's... I, 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 I don't vouch for anything in that Survivor Hall of Fame. I want nothing to do with it, and I really don't even like questions about it, to be honest. <laughs> I think it's stupid. Okay. All right. Well, I guess that leads so, into question 38, right? What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, I guess that was 38. What do you guys think about the Survivor Hall of Fame? Please talk a bit about it. Who should be in? Who should be not be in? The selection process, the idea itself. Why are you guys not part of the executive committee? You really should be. Also, have you guys ever considered launching a rival Hall of Fame? That's by Kapil. Uh, Chadhari, um, thank you for all of the nice words, but uh, I don't know if I want the responsibility of a Survivor Hall of Fame. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, like I Mario said in my book, I'm, yeah, in my book, I'm just an asshole about it. I'm like, look, the other Survivor Hall of Fame is stupid, voted on the, by the wrong people, and all it is is recency bias. People talking about who they liked the most the last five seasons. So. I, I don't know, though. I I don't know. Your, your Hall of Fame, I mean, there's going to be, like, flight attendant wing. There's going to be, like, Pascal's interns wing. There's going to be, like, um, my fan fiction wing. I mean, you know, this this is going to get out of hand real fast. I will not qualify that with a response. But, yes, in my real Survivor Hall of Fame in my book, I all I pay attention to is history. How important was this person to Survivor? When you talk about the history of the show, how significant were there? That's the only per- thing I have, the only thing I care about, and I did not put Nick Brown in there or Gabriel. So there you go. But but Colleen is in there, and also Cooleen. Of course. Why? How? Why would Colleen not be in a Hall of Fame? I'm sorry. Uh, who was more popular than Colleen at her peak? Cooleen. Whatever. Whatever. <clears throat> All right. So you talked about time. How many more questions do you think we should do here? I got. 22 more lined up. I don't know if we're going to get through all 22. No. Uh, let's just do let's just do a little bit more. I've got my eye on the clock. I'll call it. All right. We'll do some speed rounds. Here. We, won't, we won't elaborate too much. <clears throat> Question okay. 39 from Michael Cermak. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Africa and Thailand especially. Uh, yeah. Why do you think those two seasons in particular continue to be held in lower regard than seasons like Micronesia, which are far inferior? No sell. Uh, no sell. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Probst did not sell Thailand at all. Probst hated Thailand. He came out of the block saying that season sucked before episode one even aired because he just didn't like it. Africa had that whole 9-11 stuff going on, and it was just weird. It's in the middle of the desert. It's, it's, there's no water. It's just different. It, was people, it wasn't what people were used to from Survivor at the time. Uh, why are they routinely trashed when crap seasons like Micronesia are praised? I don't really want to answer that question so much as I just like saying I just like seeing that people trash Micronesia because Jay and I are not really fans of Micronesia. Um, I don't think Africa and Thailand are really hated as much as they used to be. I think their reputation has grown a lot over the years, in particular Africa. I think Africa is pretty well well uh, respected by this point. But yeah, they just they just had a bad start where they just 
had things working against them that other seasons didn't have, and it took them a long time to get past that. I think one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is that you know people have listened to our podcast, and uh, uh, you know some people are like, "Hey, I went actually went back and watched Thailand. It's pretty good." It's like yeah. we kept saying like people are like, "Oh, I don't like Thailand. I don't really remember it, or I only saw like part of it, or, or anything like that." And then they watch the season and they're like, "It's actually pretty good." And it's like, "Yeah." And I'm glad you know if someone listened to us and then watched Thailand and said it was great. That makes me happy. That that that's yeah. all worth it because it's it's such a good season and just just go back and watch it, uh, you know. And if you go back and watch it and you don't like it, well, then uh, I don't have anything to say at that point. <laughs> as much as Jay says that about Thailand, just wait until we get to Vanuatu with the turnaround that season has had over the years. That's a kind of yeah, amazing. and that that's another thing is that people are like, oh my god, I I really want you guys to skip Vanuatu and go to Palau. It's like Vanuatu is so fucking awesome. It's such a great season. Like it's 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 so good from pillar to post. Like you've got such great storylines and characters. I mean it's a it's a it's a men versus women season where the men and, and women don't really want to just sleep with each other the whole time. Uh sort of like uh Amazon, that's not true because the coolest person was Dina, and uh, Dina wanted no part of anybody except to win. But like you know, uh, Vanuatu was just good, and you had you had Chris with 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 just the 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 come from behind win. You had Leanne and Amy. I mean, that is just a good good solid season of Survivor that's entertaining all the way through. I don't know why people hate it so much. <laughs> What's funny is I get the opposite response. I tell people, uh, you know. People, what I run to is now everyone seems to love Vanuatu, and I'll say, well, you know, it used to be hated. It was considered the worst season ever for like yeah. a long time. And people uh-huh. say, what? I've never heard of that. I'm like, wow, okay, so we have a lot to talk about when it comes to Vanuatu, apparently. Yeah, I think it's because it's it's a weird thing. Like, I think people people didn't know what to make of Chris because he was kind of like this ultimate survivor. And it's like Chris, you know, helped cause kind of the breakup in that the, that women's alliance. And I mean, Amy was kind of uh, painted as kind of like the big the big bad of the of the female alliance. But the fact that it kind of ended up being uh, Chris with Scout and Twyla at the end, I don't think Scout and Twyla were very well liked. So the fact that they kind of uh, uh, emerged at the top of that female alliance and kind of cracked it down, I don't think people really liked that so much. That you know, it's fun to see Amy fall, but just the fact that that she fell to Scout and Twyla uh, <laughs> at, at the end was was probably not the most satisfying for everyone involved. So I think that's mainly a big reason why people don't like it is because they didn't really kind of like mainly the people in the final three. But uh, what are you going to do? Chris rules. That was a great season. All right. Oh, uh, question 41 from Sean Walton. Who do you guys think is the biggest casting dud from the first seven seasons? Jed. <laughs> Jed. Hermie, how dare you <laughs> trash on Hermie? Oh boy! Uh, the only thing I can, the way I can answer that is got to be someone who was cast just for their looks and added nothing personality-wise or gameplay-wise to anything. How dare and you talk do about that Jed a, that way? <laughs> they do that a lot on Survivor, and I, I, I mean, especially in recent years, where they'll just cast, oh, she's cute, she's in, a, looks good in a bikini, and like you know, I live in Southern California, I could see a hundred people like that every day, so I, I, I see no advantage to that on TV whatsoever, but. I'm trying to think. Anybody from the first seven seasons who I think was a dud. I hate to say Stephanie Dill because she and Jed were kind of a tag team, but yeah, it's you're, it's somewhere in that realm. I think those two just didn't really work out. Stephanie Dill, Sarah Jones. Yeah, Sarah was a good one. Sarah was very popular though for no re- I mean for two reasons, but for no real reason. Wow. All right. Yeah, uh, Forty-two. Sean Mullen asks. 
going into All-Stars, what were your thoughts about bringing players back? Were you thinking even at that time that it was going to be one of the worst decisions in the history of the show? Or did you think that it was a good thing or at least a potentially fun idea? I, I answer this one. This one's, right, I mean, this one's right in my wheelhouse. I had written three full, and I don't even want to call them survivor stories, survivor simulations, right? Basically simulated at All-Star seasons and just written it out into, into a story. So I, I was known all over the internet. I was the, I was the all-star guy. People thought all-star survivor, and they'd think, oh, Mario, read his story. They're all about all-stars. So I was absolutely 100% in favor of bringing players back. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I just would envision these scenarios in my head where Richard plays against Tina, where Tina plays against Ethan, where Colby's up against, like, fair play. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. So I was 100% on board with returning players and all-stars until it came out and I saw the realities of it and I realized how wrong I was. So going into it, I, you could not have found a bigger all-stars fan than me. Yeah, I think that finding people that said this is a bad idea and this is potentially ruinous is going to be very rare. I mean, were there people that were saying it? Probably, but I mean, they were like... They're bringing All-Stars back. You're going to have a Survivor All-Star seasons. I was like, are you kidding me? That sounds like the most amazing thing ever. Like, oh, uh, you know, and like we were coming off of like Amazon and Pearl Islands, which were just such fun seasons. And I was doing the, I mean, Pearl Islands was so fun. Then they're like, Survivor All-Stars is coming next. I'm like, Survivor All-Stars? Oh, my God. Like, it was going to be amazing. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I don't remember one person at the time saying this was a bad idea. Okay, um, I'm going down here. Let's see. Uh, Evan DeRoche, did the Pearl Islands cast know about the gra dead grandma lie after the season wrapped? If John was on All-Stars and tried something similar, would Rupert have called him out on it? And the answer to that is absolutely not, because All-Stars and Pearl Islands and All-Stars were almost back-to-back. -back. They didn't really have time to learn this stuff. So if John had pulled that on, on, uh, on All-Stars, I'm sure Rupert would have been suspicious, because Rupert's not retarded. But I, no one knew it. Any, I mean, it had never been confirmed until they saw it on TV, which was already after All Stars had already taped. Uh, let's see. Let's skip ahead. I'm going to skip some questions here. Question 45 from Shira Yamachi. Locations are a large part of what makes each season unique. Are there any locations that you feel were bad or considered misses? Which locations do you think were successes? Uh, for me, this is an easy one to answer. The first six seasons in particular were so location-based i mean you cannot think of those seasons without thinking of where they were filmed marquesas with the no-nos africa australia i mean those whole seasons there was so much love and location locale put into those seasons they were absolutely perfect so i think they used them all absolutely perfectly africa i think has always been my favorite because they incorporated so much africa into that season so the first six in particular i don't know how you could do better than that fitting location into the theme yeah, um, I mean, I guess I guess Africa is a, is an odd miss only in this, just the fact that they were on a nature preserve, and so their ability to like go and hunt and get food for themselves was non-existent. So they kind of had to rely on sort of the, the the stuff that was provided to them, and I feel that that takes away some sort of element. But that being said, the location and the rewards that came out of there, and just the fact that they were there, and the scenery is so beautiful, I can't call Africa a miss. You know what I mean? But, like, mm -hmm. it, you know, just the fact that they couldn't do anything, that they kind of had to stay on their boma, and they, you know, weren't allowed to hunt anything, that is kind of a letdown in retrospect. You know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I wasn't thinking that at the time or anything like that, but 
but you know, I think Survivor does work well when they are able to kind of go out and, and forage for themselves a little bit. And that season was ultimately, and I mean, if Survivor Four had actually been in Jordan in the desert, there, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, production feels that Marquesas was a miss just with all the bugs and the no nos and something like that. But it was a beautiful season. They were able to go get food for themselves, and Mara Amu had grapefruit and stuff. I mean, I I I, I like all of that stuff. Uh, I. I don't think that any of the early seasons were really misses because they, you know, everything was so new and so fresh. They were going to such different locales each time. You could kind of pull, you know, the cultural aspects into things. You know, later on, they kind of use locations over and over again because it saves money. I get it. And, you know, hey, Panama, there's lots of islands. You can go to other islands and do things and that's fine. But, you know, then, then things sort of kind of get weirdly themed and, and stuff like that. And nowadays, a lot of times it's not about where they are. It's just, you know, they're in a tropical-ish place where they can catch fish and then they're just doing, it's not really locale based. It's just more survivor lore based now. So that, Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's, that's less fun. But I mean, it's, again, it's not part of the show anymore. It's just, it's, 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 it's just a different show these days, but I got to love the, when they pull out the locations. That's why when, when Guatemala came, for as you know, weird, twisty stuff as Guatemala had. I mean, hey, they were in somewhere way new, and they were in Mayan ruins. I mean, that's so yep. cool, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I think uh, Amazon did a good job of incorporating the location in there too. Yeah, you know, and, and they had a lot of weird, unique challenges. You know, they couldn't do a lot of things because Amazon was inherently dangerous. They gave them all machetes, I think, for a defensive <laughs> reason in a lot of ways. But I mean, just you know, uh, the fact that there's that piranha challenge. Like, yeah, is the piranha challenge? for the most part, boring television because it's them just fishing for a fucking fishing. hour. Yes, it's, it's boring, right? I, I, look, it's boring. It, it is boring. But the fact that they could go fish piranha for an hour, like, are you kidding me? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's, uh, I'm skipping ahead in the list here. I just found a couple of good ones to end on. Number 52 from Andy Bartenhouse. Was CBS planning on doing an all-star season for a while or was the concept of all-star season more of a fan thing that CBS caught wind of and decided to go with? Uh, I'm pretty sure they were planning to do that all along. The minute you got past about season two or three, it's pretty. It's a pretty obvious answer. So I mean, a pretty obvious idea. So I think it was probably in the works for a long time. Yeah, yeah. There's no way uh, that that's on a whim. Yeah. Uh, question forty-eight. Nicholas Lindsay, what has allowed Survivor to survive for so long on on TV, in your opinion? Uh. I think Jay said it earlier, change. I mean, they adapt and change to what the audience wants. I hate to say that because it's not what I want all the time, but the audience clearly doesn't agree with what I want. And Probst and CBS and Burnett and whoever else runs it have done a good job of knowing exactly what works and what doesn't work on the show. And they'll just, they'll just hammer the stuff that works and they'll keep doing it. And if the audience wants something new, they'll hammer that new thing over and over and over. So that's really what does it. They'll adapt to the taste of the audience. And again, I hate to say that because I don't really agree with the audience anymore, but that is why it works. Shows have fatigue over time. It is very rare. I mean, it, it happens from time to time. And shows do have season spikes. You know, a season of a show may get, you know, a later season may get a, a higher rating than an earlier season. But for the most part, uh, an audience is built in some ways and then it declines and survivor has been on the air for what 13 plus years now 
The yeah. show has declined. You know, it was one of the hottest shows. It was the biggest show in America at one point. It's not anymore. I mean, American Idol was the biggest show in America at one point. It's not anymore. Shows decline. And so everyone can say, well, you know, they're losing viewers every season. Well, no shit. Most shows lose viewers every season for the most part, unless you're a hot up-and-coming show. But after 13 seasons, it's not a hot up-and-coming show. It's this long-time old gold-standing survivor. And I mean, the thing is, is that for the last, what, seven, eight, nine seasons of the show, the viewership has been around 10 million, right? Like sometimes it's a little over 10, maybe reaching toward 11. But I mean, mm-hmm. what, last, last season or so, it's like, what, nine-something? I mean, you know, it went down a bit, you know, but... The fact that it, it it's it's gone all these seasons and it's decayed that little of 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 time that's a, a testament to the show that they're doing something right. Uh, is is the show exactly what I wanted to be? No, but the show I think is still good. It's still entertaining, and they have brought along the changes that will keep the people interested in the show. Plus, it's got this wonderful fan base. A lot of you guys listening to this podcast, you're part of that fan base. You are part of the people keeping the show going, and uh, you know that's a good thing because we like the show, and it, and it, it's still going, and it's got a loyal fan base. But I mean, there are more casual fans, but they're still watching because they keep adding things to the show and keep changing it and keep adapting it. They know what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. All right, I got four more questions. Can we do four more? Yeah, let's do it. should be quick. All right, here we go. From Carl Bainbridge, prior to Amazon, what was the casual audience's reaction to Christie's casting? Was there praise for casting someone who is disabled or criticism for a casting choice that may have been exploitative? Uh, what I remember the most about Christy is people being concerned that she wouldn't be able to play. Because so much of Survivor is social, talking, social cues, interactions. That was the concern mostly at the time. It was like, well, she'll never be able to do it. She's deaf. I mean, she's not going to be able to do half the stuff at night. She has no idea what's going on. People could be talking behind her back, literally, and she wouldn't even know. So it wasn't really people were outraged. People were heartened. It was more more just kind of dismissive, if I recall. People saying, well, that's not going to go real well, is it? Do you remember anything different? No. I mean, it's it's about that. I mean, I think people were more curious than anything else. Like, how's this going to work? Yeah. And, it, and it worked. Christy was amazing. Yep. Uh, from Muneeb Khan, who from seasons one through seven are you genuinely surprised to have never returned? I already said T-Bird. I'm going to stick by T-Bird. Just uh, because she uh, wants I've so shot, bad I'm to gonna... play. Well, you know, it's good. It's good that you know people. I'd like to go out on a limb and say that I know no survivors, so uh, I do not have that fun luxury. Um, I've said it again. I think it is. I think that I think that the biggest snub of snubs in Survivor All Stars was Dina from Survivor Amazon. Dina was incredible, and I, you know, Dina is, you know, she was. She's been in previously on Survivor from time to time. She's still super friendly and loves to talk the game. I have no doubt that if they had called Dina and said, do you want to come back? She would probably do it again because she's a she's a gamer and she would, Um, you know, and it's all about timing. You know, there's people like Scoopin that you can bring back after all these seasons because he has such a unique story. He fell in the fire. But I mean, there are people like Jonathan Penner you can always bring back and he's going to be interesting TV or Coach Wade or or people like that. But I mean, with Dina, it was kind of like the window was that original all stars and she didn't make it. She's probably not coming back at that point. But I just cannot believe that she was not on Survivor All Stars. That is incredible to me. That's a huge snub. I'm so sad. Dina, you should have played again. Again, and just to throw that out there one more time, we said this in the Amazon podcast, but she was as big a character as Rob C. was, and they were a team. So it, she was not a minor character. I mean, it was Dina and Rob. They were a thing. 
I'm going to add a second one. I'll add a male one, and I won't go forever on this. But again, this is the unfortunate part of timing. And I think mm-hmm. that two seasons really got screwed with just timing of All-Stars and stuff like that. One of it is Survivor Vanuatu being right after the original All-Stars, and they don't yeah. do another one until Micronesia and then Heroes vs. Villains. I am kind of shocked that Chris never came back. Yeah. Well, we you know, will talk for hours about this in the Vanuatu podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of shocked that Chris never came back. Another, but, you know, Eliza's come back and, you know, Amy's come back. The people from Vanuatu have come back. So there is that. No one has come back from Survivor Guatemala. And, you know, you can talk about it all you want, you know, with characters. There were interesting characters there like Judd, but I don't know if you bring Judd back. I would think, I think it'd be very interesting if they brought Gary Hogaboom back, but that's just me. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not really gonna, you know, go out on a huge limb on that one or something like that. But, uh, it's the biggest snub that Dina never got brought back. Honorable mention to Chris, but that's not for seven seasons. So that's, you know, yeah. a little bit cheaty. I wonder if Hogaboon would have a new secret identity if he played a game. <laughs> that's what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about. I'm right? Gary Higgins. I'm a amazing? fisherman. <laughs> Gary Higgins. I'm fisherman. I'm Gary Higgins. I went to Central Michigan just like Gary Hawkins and Gary Hogaboom, but but I don't know them. Exactly. I'm a seven foot tall deep sea fisherman. <laughs> All right. Uh, the last two questions. From John Tennyson, what would have happened if on All-Stars, Colby, Ethan, and Kathy and Hatch all banded together as Hatch said almost happened on Rob Had a Podcast? How would the game have been different? First off, Hatch says that the four of them almost banded together. I will give you a little clue here. They didn't almost <laughs> band together. <laughs> that was people telling, Hatch, people telling Hatch what he wanted to hear. So we'll just solve that one real quick. Hatch, Hatch was, was toast. Not going Hatch was not going anywhere. <laughs> What would have happened? Monkeys would have flown out of my butt. That's what would have happened. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, in all honesty, right? If pe- what would have happened if these people had formed together a dominant alliance? Well, they probably would have carried the game. But, you know, there were like 48 tribe switches in, in Survivor All-Stars. Maybe they get mixed up at some point. Nothing's guaranteed. And nobody's aligning with Hatch. Hatch was toast. Let's go. All right. Last question. This is a good one. From Kapil Chudchoudre. Kapil Chowdhury, I don't know how to pronounce that. All right. <clears throat> does the idea of all an all-winner season excite you guys? And if it does, how do you think an all-winner season would go? Uh, uh, I will give the same, same answer I've always given to this one, that watch out for Vesepia. And second part of that, Vesepia would not be invited, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, a, a season of all-winners does not excite me. Um Mainly because a lot of times winners, I mean, winners are very specific in a, in a lot of times. They're specific to their season, you know, and, and sometimes winners are, are sort of dud, dud characters, you know, like uh, I will use Yule Kwan as an example. Yule Kwan played an incredible game in Survivor Cook Islands. I have no desire to see Yule play ever again. Um, yeah. You know, kind of boring TV, right? Like, I can't say enough good things about Yule. He was great. I'm so glad he won Survivor Cook Islands. He was amazing. I don't need to see him play again. You know, he, he's done. I don't need to see Parvati play again. I don't need to see, I don't need to see a lot of people play again. The people that I'd want to see played again, you know, yeah. some of them are, are characters and some of them aren't. Like, I'd like to see Vesepi played again. There's no way she gets invited back. And if she does, is she good TV? Like, people are like, oh, I want to see an all-winner season. I want to see the Clash of the Champions. It's like, like with any season of Survivor, people are going to get out first and are kind of duddy or ganged up on and, and, and have no shot. And other people are going to go far. And, you know, sometimes a lot, of ta- a lot of the people that you think are going to do real well probably won't. And there will be people that you don't think are going to do all that great that are going to slide through. You know, I think that threats to win an all-winner season, um, 
I mean, God, you know, if if Danny from Guatemala ever comes back, I think she's super dangerous, you know, because I think people forgot about her, and I think she can just crush everybody, because, you know, that's just the way it goes. But I don't, I don't know if an all winter season is what I want to watch. Mainly, I, I don't necessarily now that we've seen it love them bringing people coming back. I've said that before. But if you are going to do so, bring some people back that I want to see. And I don't know if all these winners are who I want to see. Yeah, see, I, the thing is, that sounds great in theory, an all-winter season. The reality of it is they're not going to invite most of the winners that people want to see. You're not going to see Chris Doherty on there. They don't like him. He, Probst has never liked him. He's never even had a hint of having a callback ever. They're not going to get Vesepia. There's this rumor out there that Brian Heideck turned down All-Stars because he wanted too much money, which is complete bullshit, and I absolutely hate no. that rumor. They were never going to ask Brian Heideck. They wanted nothing to do with him. CBS has never liked him. Brian only says that story, so it makes it sound like it was his choice. They never wanted him at All-Stars. They wouldn't want him for an all-winter season. I could say I asked for a huge appearance fee for All-Stars, too. It makes no difference that I would have been asked in the first place. So that's the thing. It, they're not going to ask all the people that people want to see. There's no Vesepia. I mean, that's the thing. It's going to be the same old people from recent seasons like they always do. So I'm absolutely not excited about an all-winter season for the same reason that Jay said, that it's just not going to work like you think it is. I mean, it's like, you know, people are like, oh, I'd love to see an all-winter season. I'd love to see Todd go up against Parvati or, you know, uh, this person, you know, I'm, I'm going to say. But it's like, wouldn't you rather see Malcolm? Wouldn't you rather see Coach? Wouldn't you rather uh-huh. see these people that didn't win? And it's like the answer is probably yes, you yeah. know. <laughs> the, the amount of winners I'd like to see play again is very low. Um, uh-huh. And I don't even know if they'd make great seasons. So I, I don't know. I I don't know. It's tough. I mean, everyone's kind of talking about the end of Survivor now just because we're kind of getting a little long in the tooth. And I mean, you know, I mean, Jeff Probst is an executive producer. Jeff Probst tried a talk show. The Jeff Probst show didn't really work out for him. But at some point, he's going to break away and do something, and it's going to be successful, and he's not going to want to do Survivor anymore. I don't think the show is going to survive Jeff Probst leaving. It's going to leave somehow. And then everyone then's talking about, are they going to leave on an even number, like Survivor 30 or 40 or 50 or something like that? And if they do, is it going to be an all-winter season on the way out? I think that their last season is probably going to be an all-star season of some sort. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if it'll be all-winners. I mean, I just think they're going to bring some people they really want to see play the game again like they'll probably call rob again they'll probably call russell again they'll just pull out all the stops and say we're done you know and it'll just be it'll just be what it is you know and so we'll just we'll write it until it's done i suppose yeah i will believe in all winter season happy uh season happens when i see it and i also shudder to think that this will just be their excuse to call russell a former winner so they can bring him back and i don't ever want to see anything where russell is referred to as a winner russell's a winner he thinks he is. You know, a lot of chart, large, large section of the fan base seems to think he is too. All well, right. no, I, but 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 this is the thing. I mean, to me, like, there's a controversy on like, is Rupert a winner, right? Because <laughs> Rupert won a million dollar vote after All Stars, right? Like, Survivor gave Rupert a million dollars. Survivor's never given Russell Hans a million dollars directly in a check. You know, like people could talk about, oh, Russell was robbed. I mean, there's all that sort of stuff. I mean, you can get into that argument later. But like, he's never been declared a winner of anything other than a fan vote, fan favorite vote, right? But I won because I have honor. <laughs> oh, oh, Rupert, you do. You have honor. Oh, my little pookie bear. Let's go cuddle. Oh, boo-boo, boo-boo, my boo-boo. <laughs> All right. All right, I think we've just about reached the end of our listener question podcast. We want to thank 
all the people that took a moment to uh, drop us your thoughts and send us something. We apologize that we really only got to answer about 45 out of the 120 or so questions we got in. So, again, it's uh, there's no such thing as a bad question. There's only such a thing as a bad question writer. So, no, I'm just kidding. We apologize. <laughs> if we, <laughs> we apologize if we didn't get to your question. Yes. Uh, keep right. keep them coming because we've got a we've got another pod uh, coming up because uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, get in if you'd like to uh, maybe get on here and be a survivor historian apprentice. Please uh, email at survivorhistorians at gmail dot com uh, a short little essay as to why you'd like to be so. Make it short because Mario doesn't like to read and I frankly have never learned to read. So there is that. And again, we can only promise we can get about 10 people on the air with us. And again, that'll be the audition. You will literally be on our next podcast with us and people will be listening to the show. So we just want to see who kind of works with us, who we think will make a good team. We might we might uh, get some uh, ask, put some polls out there, some websites saying who they thought worked the best with us. So we just that's the thing. We can only promise about 10 people will get on the air, but we really do need a third just in case this uh, Germany thing doesn't work out. And so, uh, yeah, so that's where we stand right now. I'm skeptical about Germany as a whole. Exactly. I think Germany may turn on us at some point. But yeah, so that's that's it, and that's really all we have. Uh, at this point, we're just waiting for some submissions, and then our next show will be our auditions for the uh, Survivor Historian Apprentice, where we pick the temp who will come in, and we will just shit on you repeatedly, and you'll have to take it because you're the temp at that point. Bonus points for anyone that calls me a magnificent bastard. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> well, you don't get bonus points then, Mario. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> All right. So uh, do you have anything else? Oh, my book. I was going to mention about my book. A lot of people have asked about this. <clears throat> All right. Here's the scoop on my book. Last last year, I had a publisher. Uh, I'm not going to say their name. They came to me and they were reading my uh, Survivor essay, which I had on my website, which is all about my experiences with the show. And the guy loved it. He's like, oh, this is the greatest essay I've ever seen. He's like, could you finish this up and make it like through Africa and we'll publish it as a book. We'll make it an ebook. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So, you know, I dedicated the entire rest of last year, last next seven months to finishing this book, polishing it, you know, proofreading it, making sure it all flowed. And it's really good. I finished it up. I turned it into the publisher. And then I find out the guy that okayed it no longer works there. He quit at some point. So I have no ally at this publishing company. I don't really care about a survivor book. So what happens is at the moment I have a book that's totally polished and totally ready to go. I could sell it right now and it would do pretty well because it's, it's perfectly done. I just don't have a publisher at the moment. I could self-publish it. I'm, uh, I'm still looking around for other publishers to see if anyone wants to take a chance on a survivor book. I can tell them right now. I'm like, look, I have a huge audience. The people are waiting for this book. So that's kind of where it stands. I don't know what's going to happen. All I can tell you is it's done at the moment. I'm just working on the logistics of how I'm going to get it released to everybody. So I will uh, update everyone when I know more. Okay. And that's it. That's actually good to know. That's actually, I've learned something by listening to this podcast. So thank you. Thank you for teaching me. <laughs> that's what I do. I'm like Yoda, the badass Yoda that you only learn was awesome later. No. <laughs> Tina is Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What are you saying? She's wrinkly? You take that back, you son of a bitch. Um, no. <laughs> All right. I won't take it back. <laughs> Tina's Yoda because Yoda is badass, as is Tina. All right. Thank you. 
Okay, so uh, I guess that's it. At this point, just send in those submissions for The Historian's Apprentice, and if we like them, if we think you're a good fit, we will get back to you. And that's about it. Make sure they send it, they come into our email box at Gmail. And thanks, guys, for listening, and uh, we're glad to be back and uh, hope to be uh, putting these out at a little bit faster clip in the future, I suppose. And as always, I'm Mario Lanta. And I'm Jay Fisher. And I'm Paul Asselson. Go, Gene! Thank, <laughs> Sorry, you. Th- thank, you, David, thank you, David Hasselhoff, for your, uh, <laughs> for your contribution to this thing. And uh, I think we're done, right? Are we good? That's it. That's uh, the first and last two-person podcast we'll ever do. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you guys later. Goodbye. Goodbye.